Right, so uh, we're setting up for round table. Uh, there's going to be no intro here. Uh, I want to try and keep this as this as well. And uh, serious face on today, folks. Let me just send out alerts. And what I will do is I will let in... So let's see. So I can see Walter. Walter, I think your audio will be off. Uh, I'm just sending out alerts right now. We're running. We're actually early, so me and you can just uh, shoot. Do I need to unmute you? No, I can unmute myself. There we go. Uh, okay, wonderful. How are you, sir? Good. How are you, sir? I, I made a quite a discovery last night. Uh, th with the sped, uh, I didn't get a chance to read the one this morning. But the is that is that what you're referring to? Well, the sped is 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 definitely part of it. But it's it's the entire autoimmunity, and I believe the prion disease too is is because of um, from injury and repeated injury. And um, here's an amazing paper I found, which confirms my thoughts. Um, let me get you this link. Oh, the Paraquat one? Uh, no, it's one. It's 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 one from um, from last night. Here, let me put the link in the uh, in the chat. Sure. I, I I really think that the autoimmunity we're observing, and also the prion disease, is from injury and repeated injury. And here is the. Let me put this in the chat. There's an amazing paper that 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 proves what I what I had hypothesized, and I'll put the paper as well, which is linked in the. Uh, I think this is fascinating. Uh, let me just try and bring that up on the screen. Working the autoimmunity and prion disease being observed post COVID nineteen and spike protein exposure may be due to the injury caused by spike protein S one unit in particular. Oh, you get no objection from me there. Um, and the autoantibodies and site of damage can present B cells. Okay. If you look at the, the last article I referenced in the quote, I think this is why we, I think it's because of the damage that the S1 unit is doing in in the brain. I think this is why that we this is why it's it's setting off prion disease. I think this explains it perfectly because the S1 unit is just injury, injury, injury. And repeated mm. injury, and with every uh, booster exposure, it's. And the only reason we're not seeing the lung injury with the boosters, of course, and the the vaccines, is because it's not being put into the lungs; it's being put straight in the body. Into... Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Which is why we're not seeing the. Uh, well, the, I mean, um... you'll get no objection from me about uh, <laughs> repeated injury and uh, CTE. So, um. Uh... Exactly. I'm a believer. So I, I really think this is this is what's this is what's causing it, and the autoimmunity as well. Mm. So let me let me just check. I've sent everything out. And, hey guys, uh, is that you, Spartacus? Yeah, can you hear me? I, I Very nice to finally meet you, Spartacus. Hey, nice to meet you. <laughs> and um, I I noticed something interesting as well um, these past couple of days. So someone mentioned to me. Um, in, in relation to um, COVID-19 and uh, someone mentioned to me uh, the PISO-1 gene 
And then I started going Recording over it. Recording in progress. Um, let's see here. Uh, I'm going to put this in the uh, in the chat real quick. I noticed at the end here how it mentioned in myoblasts, um, flipase mediated phosphatidylserine enrichment at the inner leaflet of plasma membrane triggers channel activation and calcium influx followed by rho GTPase's signal transduction, leading to assembly of cortical actomyosin fibers and myotube formation. Um, and then I I couldn't help but notice. Um, comparing and contrasting these two articles right here. Um, do we know of a role for phosphatidylserine in the endothelial uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just hand that one over to you, Walter. I'll, they, they, and uh, I'll have to look. I mean, that, I, I would say that might, that might relate to, to the, the a post from a day or two ago where it, it, and I'll, I'll, I will research it. Um, that gene has come up, but, but again, I've read so much. I want to make, clear i want to check before i say anything regarding it, but that gene has come up i do recognize it um it, it was never pneumonia no it was all endothelial injury which yes. disrupted the gas uh the gas exchange barrier and the, the ground glass opacity if you read this post it, and, and the treatments obviously were completely wrong and did essentially more harm than good for many people because it was being it was never pneumonia there were indeed some secondary you know pneumonia caused by it but it was the actual problem was never a pneumonia it was it was the endothelium being destroyed disrupting the gas exchange and yes. and that that created the ground glass opacities and and, and the fibrosis and it, it that's the one that mimics paraquat yes it, it, uh, it, that that, that was an interesting one. I was because uh, there's a there's a bunch of um, how do you call them herbicides, I guess, aren't they? Uh, that we've that have come under scrutiny in my field. Uh, one being uh, paraquat, the other being rotenone. I think it's called. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. That's and, Rotenone was supposed to be one of those ones that's more benign, but they were finding, ah, you know, I, I don't know how strong the, again, it's these correlation studies. And I remember, oh, Gunter, German Gunter, he was, uh, if anything, um, fastidious in his work, could find nothing. But this was in rodents. So um, I've always sort of put it in the maybe category, but. Um, you know, the well, I know a lot of people are fixed on was it Roundup and whatever. whatever oh, yeah, the, the glyphosate, glyphosate yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. yeah, it's a glyphosate, yeah, yeah. And, and 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 they're well, I believe there certainly is something there, so yeah, uh, uh you know, the, the, the I, I mean, we're not, we're also... not the official start yet, but so I'll just. Be rude. <laughs> just have you what ever seen? Have you, I'll be uh, rude. Just interrupting you. But the uh, have you ever seen that clip oh, no. where they the the they offer the guy who's saying glyphosate's perfectly fine, and they offer him a glass. <laughs> and, they say, well, and he said he said he'd drink a glass. And so they they is this on a TV station? I think it might be in might be in a French TV station. And they oh, offered. That's... Insane. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, he refused. 
who who would know that you know there's something else i'm researching and i don't know enough about this field but who would who would know one thing i, I i've been looking at is the binding of the spike with ace2 and the free energy now i know that there's protonation and ionization that's occurring because it is such an unbelievably strong binding and it takes i think 50 nanoseconds for the conformational change in the release of the free energy. So my question is, is there a way to measure, and is it even possible that if a bind is so strong, the excess free energy can act and mimic radiation? It's not, of course, actual radiation, but can a binding be so strong that the free energy release, the protonation and ionization of that free energy mimic? Because that would answer a lot if it's true. I, I, I tell you this, that... Most of those studies are in silico, where they correct. It is in silico. The and, study, yes. So you're asking a lot to. I don't know if you could get some sort of bulk, bulk measure of like the the basic chemistry, but um, you know the all all of it's worked up from sort of first principles plugged into algorithms and then <laughs> we, we're supposed to believe that, that they're true so um you know radiation poisoning would imply that there's some release of i don't know uh, alpha beta particle well, no 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 it's not it's not actual radiation it mimics it in, in in its effect on the cell it's not actual radiation yeah but but what what would do that in terms of mimicking Right, so what what what's the correlate of the alpha or beta particle in this instance? And you, I, I suppose you could argue a free radical of some. Well, kind. yes, and that's what it's doing. In other words, it's it, it, it's it's causing you know the 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 the, the stealing, stealing of electrons, which is mimicking the effect of the alpha and beta particles on the molecular structures. So it's not actually radiation, of course, but it mimics it in the effect that the free energy has on electrons within the cell. Yeah, in, in that sense, I wonder if it's just easier to think about it in terms of um, free radicals. Um, well, yes, and it is generating. I'm just thinking of the mechanism. Is this a possible? Yeah, it obviously is generating a, a astonishing amount of free radicals, and that's been proven. Mm. But my, I'm just wondering if this is an additional mechanism that might explain the spreading paracrine effect paracrine effect that it has i i'm just one you know because to me it it it, it looks like it, it it's not i began thinking it's an endothelial issue but i think that's just the first the first uh, you know layer of the onion if you will that it p penetrates and it just begins there and pushes into tissue mm. constantly driving into tissue whether it's the brain heart lung kidney liver uh, you know, um, uterus, testicle, you know, um, ovaries. It's uh, just driving in and through in a paracrine fashion. And and, and there's a lot of, of, of evidence of the uh, of the spike doing paracrine signaling. So I'm just wondering if, if the endothelium is just because it's the first layer within the, the, well, the that's, blood that, vessel. Well, that's, that's the thing, right? It's the first layer on everything. Everything has well, a, yeah, of course, it's the first layer on everything, right? And so, I, um, 
I, I spoke with my, um, my contacts about this. Um, actually it was, it was in, in late 2020 or, and then around early 2021, I was, I was discussing this with, uh, with some, some PhDs who are actually connected to NASA. Um, and they were involved in, um, uh, doing doing research re- related to um, analyzing the effect of causing radiation on on astronauts and on their health, um, and on the on their and on their, the physiology of their cells, and um, what they admitted to me was that based on on my description of the, the pathology of of COVID nineteen, um, basically they they just straight up admitted that there were similarities to the effects of, of radiation ionizing radiation on the cells and exactly. by th- and by that um generally i mean what what we we narrowed it down to was um calcium influx into the cells um leading to free radical generation um and uh SARS-CoV-2's um, envelope and, and 3A proteins actually behave as calcium ion channels. They, they behave yep. as viroporins. They draw calcium ions into the cells. And, and we, what we can see is... Um, that there is your dread, sir. It's your dread. Profound hypocalcemia uh, in people who have severe COVID nineteen. They, I mean, you go, you do a blood test on them, do labs, and and um, they have low blood calcium levels. And uh, this may um, uh, provide a rationale for how vitamin D could. I mean, if if provided early enough before damage and and you know and damp accumulation starts to set in. Um, ideally prophylactically, like well in advance, um, how, um, you know, the activation of, of calcium ATPase to pump calcium back out of cells and reduce this free radical generation, uh, because what, what's happening here is, um, oh, uh, hold on one second. Uh, if you want to carry on. Well, yes. In fact, I wrote an entire post. Uh, I just put it in the chat that uh, the spike protein mimics the mechanism of the space environment. I, I remember that. I saw, I saw that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's a mind break. This, this is the great thing about having people come from sort of the, I don't mean it in a derogatory sense, but left field, right? That are uh, open, not constrained by the dogma of their field to, you know, stick a, stick their spin on everything and you know there's uh it's the tantalizing thought to think about that and again these are these become explorable mechanisms um i was next as oh i I was thinking um as uh sars-cov-2 spike interacts with ace 2 um, you see, what you see is, is an increase. I mean, uh, theoretically, according to supercomputer models, um, what you see is, um, an increase in bradykinin, particularly a, a type of bradykinin known as, uh, DESARG9 bradykinin. And, um, that activation of bradykinin receptors actually increases intracellular calcium pathway activity. It leads to arachidonic acid release. Um, arachidonic acid in, um, in the presence of free radicals um, then leads to isoprostane formation, uh, which is 
essentially isoprostanes are like prostaglandins, but they they're formed oxidatively independent of cyclooxygenase. So there's there's no um, there's no need for an enzymatic reaction. It's just an oxidative reaction with their acidonic acid to produce these, and um, they're inflammatory like prostaglandins, and well even more. So, um, and the thing about this is that we have essentially we have proof from the biomarkers that there is considerable um, reactive oxygen species generation going on here from the, I mean, we can see from the low nitric oxide bioavailability, um, low hydrogen sulfide, um, elevated nitrotyrosine, uh, which shows that there is peroxynitrite formation. Um, that that's all just proof positive that there's, there's uh, free radical damage going on here. Well, I'm, I'm happy to announce Jessica Rose has uh, slipped into the chat there. Uh, Silently unannounced. I don't know. If, do I have to ask everyone to unmute? Does that? Did, did you have control of your mutes, or do I have to? I did. I had control of mine. Okay. I'll, I'll presume Jessica knows what's uh, what to do. <laughs> she's she's a smart lady. Um, all right. I'm still just sort of sending out alerts because we're we're right on the uh, the cusp of when we said we'd go live. I apologise about the uh, the having to hone in on the. Uh, the times etc but which is a good thing walter because that means that your meetings where you thought you weren't going to be here aren't a issue and so we get you for the whole session and spartacus i hope will um spartacus can uh how do you say scientifically brawl (laughs) (laughs) for for uh many an hour so uh i'm hoping i'll keep my eye on the chat with questions and i'm hoping that Charles, well, I'm interested to see uh, Jessica's thoughts on my uh, injury finding with the prion disease etiology, and Jonathan as well, and Jonathan as well. Yes, yeah, he's he's in as well. He just popped in. <laughs> Didn't know. If, uh, um, oh, gonna... good, Jonathan is here. Yeah, how's going? So. I don't know if he's got well, his mark. I need to read your article before I can say anything. Okay. It, 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 it's, it's, um, shall I put the link in the, uh, I sent it to you, or shall I put the link in the chat? Yeah, it would be faster because I have too many emails since then. <laughs> okay, let me put the link in the chat. I think I have discovered that both the, the main etiology of the autoimmunity and the prion disease. Here it is right here. So I'll add, I'll add to the idea of repetitive injury. Um, sort of, I'm, I'm just sort of keeping a, trying to glance that abstract at the um, corner of my eye here, and um, you know, for things may be changing right now with sort of latest PET imaging and um, higher higher strength Tesla um, MRI and CTE, uh, again prion like disorders preenergic mechanisms however you want to sort of wrap them up they all they all seem to eventually funnel down the zigzag of like the, it's like those machines right where you drop a penny oh, in and it, yes. it, it, it'll sort of but then eventually at the bottom <laughs> at the oh, bottom what? you just get a pile of uh junk junk protein and um you're and the outcomes can be very much the same and this this was i i, I invited matthew Crawford, because his last discussion with Jonathan, where they were looking at the 
uh, the known unknowns and unknown unknowns in a system where he was discussing with uh, what's his name Wilson. Uh, but it's great for me because I, I've never put it in such mathematical terms, but that's a constant discussion in the neuro clinical neuroscience fields. Right? How do we? We've got an end product, if you like, but we're, we're fishing in the dark a lot of the times with respect to how do we know where that this was the initiator of this um, disease outcome? How come that disease descriptions and you know, classic being Parkinson's was first described 140 years ago? Um, it, it changes, and we know that they cluster. Uh, differently with respect to symptoms and um, these these errors are compounding all the time as you as you try to find the description for these dis- disorders and I don't know I, I'm I, I appreciate all the work you're doing for a unified <laughs> unified physics I'm working on it. model yeah. of uh, but I just I'm I'm I've reached a point where I have to accept ambiguity in the system as a as a sort of operational principle Uh, because there's always something that breaks the rule. And and in this instance, like I say, if there's if there all these, you you, you've no idea the amount of times that I think I've sort of stumbled upon something and done the proper tests and and then someone has said to me oh but you and it'll always be some obscure russian name that has some some mathematical uh <laughs> objection to my my use of the stats in that way and i i'll, I'll go and grumble and slink slink off <laughs> well i i'm really beginning to think that everything is is injury and loss that the 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 entire is it's you know and i think that's why there's the head the heterogeneity of, of the autoimmune issues is because it's all based upon which injured site is, is the, the first mm. to um, have these plasma cells. So I, I think that the, the entire thing is injury and then the generation of Ross. And I think that that's the more I look for a, a unifying theory, I believe that that's what it's going to end up at least a significant part of it is going to end up and again my whole spike protein and endothelial disease hypothesis i think is actually just i might change it to spike protein injury disease because i think of course the endothelium as we were speaking before is simply the first the first thing to be attacked yeah it's the first thing what's that it's the first contact that's it's the first contact but i think it it invades i think it pushes Mm. so you know i i I think i think it's the the question is why are some people for instance there's a very fascinating um post i made um a a day or two ago where they they checked for spike protein um in the blood and for people who were not vaccinated and who never had covid zero zero spike protein in their blood so the question is why are some people having zero spike protein and i mean i believe at this point almost everyone on the planet must have been exposed to the virus by now um i would find it very hard to believe that there are people at least in developed countries at this point who have not at least been exposed to it um so why are some people not you know have zero spike 
in there, like zero in, in the controls that had not been vaccinated and had not had COVID, they found absolutely zero. Um, it's a good question. Again, I would, um, th- these are these unknown unknowns that you can right. formalize. Okay, so we've got Joanna here, and uh, the only two that are missing is, is Charles. He called for this meeting, <laughs> so he's. He's like, <laughs> I smell weakness, Rexy. <laughs> I smell weakness <laughs> wherever you are. Um, so, uh, Joanna, good to see you. I don't know. Your mic is uh, on mute. But um, what what I will do is whilst uh, if um, Charles is having an issue, I did just ding him a message. But what, I, what I'll do is I'll take the liberty of... Um, summarizing what Charles said to me, which was that in terms of making a solid resistance with respect to, well, tortured scientific narratives that we all sit there every day trying to hack our way through, hack's not the right word, Um, but I would say burning away the nonsense, trying to get down to something of a purer, um, essence of what's going on which is a scientist that's our job he wants to have a uh, stream where we coalesce where we are right now and that means um, we can give a each give a sort of five ten minute statement about what 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 we've found what we're planning on doing and how we can ideas for more effectively um, pushing that um, pushing home the idea of resistance in, in this sense because the, we're obviously dealing with such a monumental failure at a, at a systems level so I s- always say that uh, last in first to go so Joanna um I know you've been up to a lot. So, um, and let me just see how many people know. I put out all alerts. Did I put the email? Yes. So, Joanna, why don't why don't you, in lieu of uh, Charles um, not turning up, um, tell us what you've been doing. Like I said, I know you've been very busy. And where where what are you going to do and where do we go? It depends, <laughs> but um, yeah, the last contact we had was for the um, Crimes Against Humanity tour. I was cancelled on Twitter, so um, I had a little bit of time, <laughs> the time that got invested in the Twitter contacts, which we are um was kind of free but I had COVID and we had summer holidays for the children and and all that so it was kind of the plan was different and then I engaged with um, the Crimes Against Humanity tour and actually um, we had um, a physician society um, being founded in um, June and I 
it, it, somehow I know these people and everybody told me about it. So I'm, I engaged in that and actually I run now, now I'm running for my um, medical board. <laughs> um, and I need to do that because I can't work anymore. I got I got my sentence from them <laughs> because I I was um, I have uh, a patient that I have uh, given a mask exemption, and uh, her employer uh, reported me at the board, and now they are telling me or, or not they. <clears throat> I called there and asked some questions, and the day after the president of that medical board sent me my sentence about 500 euros and um, said I, I am not allowed to to trust um, what the patient said because the patient is the, th the third one and we have a differentiation between um, the doctor-patient relationship and the third from outside and a physician is usually just um, um, according to the oath we are responsible for the patient and not for someone else so um, they twisted that totally around so I had the choice to um, go against them on court and I have to prepare that now because I, I'm not taking that sentence because that makes me you know how do I objectivate uh, pain Mm. or something or some psychological issues you know and they are telling me they need to be um sick as hell that you can give them a mask exemption and it's not true people suffer from these masks not mm. everyone but some people do um <clears throat> and That's, yeah I, I would just say this I, I i would wear a mask all day at work right but i was paid to do that okay and it was part of the job to do that and look, even <laughs> hands up, man. None of us are none of us are perfect. When it get when it was me and the monkey alone in that room, I'd hang the mask off my face because he's logged in the thing. And I'm um, I know how hard they are to wear. And these are again asking someone like myself who's said, okay, I want to do that. Right, I accepted that as part of the um, the the deal package, as it were. Is is way way different to the idea that you you're dealing with um, civilian type jobs where the idea of PPE was the last thing that most of these people would have thought about doing on a daily basis. And yeah. being alone alone in a in a part room for cars you know mm. walking around there alone you have to wear n95 it's mm. totally insane we still have just just recently they traded the physicians against the flight attendants we still have the mask mandate in the physicians offices but the, by law. but the flight attendants don't now yeah. wow that's that's part of the sales pitch though for the uh, for the airlines right is the good looking uh, uh, airline attendants maybe not so much for the doctors you uh, you put that well you don't need a mask for uh, the hand the other lady you showed me she does you know and we can't decide now we are free um, um like 
how do you say it in English? Beruf. <laughs> like not a job. It, it's, you know, a profession. It's a free profession. And we have laws that are and, and guidelines that are international. So um, that's that's basically the other things I, I got involved with these physicians and the expert council, which I invited you to. So um mm. And it's it's necessary to have these exchanges and, and and international connections because it's so different in the world. And the flight attendants, they couldn't argue anymore to just do the mask stuff in, in Germany. <laughs> the rest of the world doesn't, you know. It's, well, it's, like, it's kind of like uh, alcohol on the planes, right? When you're flying over Saudi Arabia, they refuse to serve you alcohol. I've, I've had that problem. <laughs> We're in Saudi Arabia in airspace now. No, no, no more beers. Um, for the next three hours, two hours. <laughs> so, but that's that's again, you know, we're well. Small talk aside, I would I would just add this that um, there are big steps and sacrifices that some have to make, and um, Joanna, being a medical doctor, um, is very much on the front lines, and. <laughs> Uh, there's a there's a certain degree of bravery that's involved in taking your boards and standing up to the boards that are there as your accredited professional licensing organizations and this this gives us a insight into um again the type of sacrifices being made by people who are pushing at the edges here uh, not the, not the we're uh, we're coming from the outside in, a bit like uh, Walter's uh, spike, and the um, I, I I can only see it getting worse, not better, in the next few months. And so that's a, again a reason for this roundtable is to try to imbue into individuals that um, you you must stand up. And I would just say this: in standing up, yeah, it'll be tough. You got to walk some fire, but if you do and you hold hold course then usually you come out you pop out the other side you pop out to a better side and you'll meet better people and you'll you'll find yourself in a um more enriching environment and because the the alternative just doesn't bear thinking about right now and the well I, 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 and like i said i know you're in a lot of sort of day-to-day stresses joanna but it, it's like I said to you, it's appreciated, and you know that's that's what I was saying to you the other day. Um, it's vital that we keep you um, talking. Which is why I wanted to get your mic. I wanted to get. I was like, we've got to have. Uh, um, why, why was it? Oh, because the meeting Tuesday, right? You were just suffering with some sort of hum. From yeah, I, I exchanged devices actually, so oh, I can't okay. show you any mind maps today because it's another device, but um, I got a mic and a different device to do that today. But it sounds pitch perfect today, so uh, not, <laughs> not not to worry. And uh, well, I, you know, I think this is less about doing the mind maps. I don't, I don't think there's anyone in this group who doesn't understand the history of what it is that we're dealing with. The uh, the labyrinthine type connections, which they all seem to hook onto. Um, I mean, if we need a mind map, Spartacus as a new one that he's um, he's put out there. Um, if if at some point we want to draw on 
looking at relations and the scope of these things. But I think I think right now just more 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 clarity and so yeah thank you for <laughs> getting a, a better a better device because Tuesday was fascinating for those for those that don't know we were having a I, I don't know what the name of the group is some German um, expert council I think it's it's um... is that how you translate it okay <laughs> there was uh, but there, it was graphene oxide was the subject and look. I'll, I'll let you summarize that meeting because it's it was conclusions had already been drawn before I was invited in there and um, you know people need to know what what was the outcome of what was quite sophisticated research I would argue. Yeah, um, I, I was asked by by um, physicians I got in contact with if I want to join there because um, they need a little bit of help from from the medical virology um, perspective. And I would um, I, I was going there, and they were open on um, what I what I really liked is they are open for many um, um, <clears throat> hypotheses, but they. Um, discuss the graphene oxide and um, um, and how oh, they done... did more than that. <laughs> that, that would, you, you yeah, would, but, yeah, but the expert council, mm. one of these um, people in the expert council is the guy that kind of <laughs> he was on my press conference where I, where we discussed. Um, the the consequences of of the vaccines. It was in May twenty twenty one, and um, and he was in the crowd and was asking if um, th there is participants um, in in that vaccine if that is it would be allowed. And I was saying no. It, it, there's a qual quality control usually. So. And he was presenting these results and he's kind of um, attracting many people with his uh, um, way of um, and And he, he was in contact anyways with the Spanish um, fifth column and the people around Calca, the, the whole um, chlorine dioxide stuff. So there was a little bit of influence from that group because they have quite a bit, quite a big reach. And he was actually present in many meetings that I had here at my uh, local place with the people I know here. So um, we had discussions about that. And I'm glad that these scientists did Raman spectroscopy. And then, you know, I, I think you can explain better what they actually did. But I heard from you that you have uh, had their paper in their hands and that you thought that it was quite good. So I was in contact with them and they discussed internally the results of the paper and that this Kampra from, from South America did write, did write a letter to them. And uh, yes, he did. <laughs> and um, Ernst, uh, the one um, um, was was discussing uh, to answer, and some other people, and um, so um, they did answer. Yes. So uh, em um, emphatically, I would say. Um, yes, I think so. The. So I'll I'll just 
take this moment to just discuss that little aspect, which is, you know, a, a lot of, so I've been trying to focus more on the practical side, trying to get something approximating experimental data that we can lean on and trust with respect to who's done it, the motivations behind doing it. And and so having, well, whether it was <laughs> good luck or not, but having gotten my hands on vaccines, I was in the position to be able to do that. And the, um, you know, that sort of escalated to the point of getting into a forensic materials type laboratory and looking for these signals this graphene oxide which had again you, th there's a a point that the orthodox side has about misinformation and I, all I would say is that there's a narrow path to tread upon which either side is a ditch full of um, excrement to put it lightly and um, on one side you've got this these people who 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 grab it onto anything and it's not that i'm dismissing graphene oxide technologies or any anything like that but the question th th there's a specific question here which is is it present in appreciable amounts in the um mass shots that are put out now with the caveat that billions have been now dispensed uh, and we see a, a, a sample of well whatever one to the power of five negative right the the more more than that one to the power of seven it's just when negative we i spent a lot of lot of time and effort going through trying to draw out these structures that people were seeing which requires a patience with the crystallization right and and then doing the tests as they should be done, Raman spectroscopy, um, the scanning electron microscopy, and the EDX mapping. And then you want to step that up to um, time of flight mass spectrometry and then NMR. Now, I could do those last two steps, but I was pretty convinced that all the signals that I'd seen that people were pushing as graphene oxide were not... That's not what they were looking at. It was... Um, cholesterol type fats now at that meeting was a guy who'd spent his career looking at carbon nanofibers and tubes and had all the had access to all of this equipment as well and literally had found exactly the same things i had and on in, in that instance when there when there's no pretense for trying to get this this guy doesn't even want to be known Right, he's he just he's prepared to sort of talk with professionals, but he's he's um, wants to stay very much on the down low. Um, you know, the fact that me and him get a get a result that concords, I I I would argue has far more weight than Fifth Column and Robert O Young does, where they have a an incentive for the more gratuitous end of the hypothetical spectrum that that's and so i hope that we can dispense with that aspect of the the vaccine discussion i think it's more important to be focused on the, the biology the toxic biology that we're looking at 
And, you know, that's another thing that he pointed at. Please, Joanna. Also, they um, just recently, they, uh, and it's funny because I did exactly that for my uh, dissertation, doctor thesis. <laughs> Um, they they tried to anticipate and to to um, filtrate and then participate um, with PCA where you would get proteins participate. So and they had a participant. <laughs> so um, the next thing and step would be SDS page or Western blotting to see what what you have as participant mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, um, in the gels and it's, it's, you know, we all have our special um, specialities and I was doing these gels like three in a row every day when I was president, we worked like eight students in like, 15 square meters <laughs> shift with these gels. So I know exactly what they're talking about and I have done it. And it's really interesting to see it because why would you want to have protein mm. in a vaccine? Well, like I say, my initial objection, not objection, but my suspicion would fall on to my experience with these vials is it's very easy for contaminant to build up in unless you pop that lid off pull the pull the contents out and deal with it straight away the next day you can find bacteria in the yeah but it was ultra filtrated and it was um, centrifuged and and all that it was just the clear supernatant so um, you know, bacteria won't go through through it first. But their pr their second. products might, though. That's the thing, right? If they're if they're yeah, but the interesting part is they found in a university in Germany in um, pretty early in 2021, they found in AstraZeneca heat shock proteins. Hmm. So um, that would be interesting to look at it like where would we want to go what would we want to need, need to look at and i i love to see um reproduction of of um um scientific methods and and like checking on what each other does because you know when you are in a scientific argument and you have pro and con you need to investigate and so i i'm i'm happy that they are open to all these uh, narratives because germany is strong in this re resistance movement with all these narratives including viruses aren't we and i'm I, I kind of uh, sacrificed myself again um for well, that. I, I, again I don't want to hog that. And if anyone, just you can keep your mics on mute, muted. It's not a formal meeting, but if someone, people want to jump in. But with respect to Germany, I would just I want to bring this example up because um, it's current right now. It's unfolding in the last couple of days, and what we've seen is that whatever the COVID, Rainer Fulmich and the blonde-haired lady, I always forget her name, but uh, Vivian, yeah. They're now they're now fighting because, um, well, it's charges of embezzlement of money from their group. Now, what I want to know is how come that group has six hundred thousand 
euros that could be embezzled in the first place, right? What what were they doing other than sitting around on Rumble, talking to people for an hour, two hours, and then putting it online? Yet they've got six hundred thousand dollars or euros. Excuse me. Donations. Donations and um, I think um, these um, class action that they promoted, they want um, for mich, uh, um has the aim to go um, for class action lawsuits in the US because of the German law system. And, you know, it's like even the um, European um, Court for um, Human Rights says, well, uh, the German court system violates human rights we know that never mind we can't do anything about it <laughs> like this so it's i think it's it's useless to try anything here I, you know well, I, I, do... I would just say this for the record six hundred thousand dollars would pay for literally a year well i could i could literally what's well, provided you're gonna take sort of postdoc salaries all of us could be working in a lab right now and in a year have a whole bunch of data which everyone could be pretty sure um, is within as good as you're going to get for that sort of money, and yet those that two, three group of people managed to scratch together six hundred thousand euros. It blows my mind. Yeah, you know, look, the, the problem is that I know pretty much of, of the backstory in a way because I was involved in this pathology conference with Arne Burkhardt, with Professor Arne Burkhardt, the pathologist, who is now, I think he's connected with uh, Ryan Cole now. Mm. So um, I'm I'm interested what they found um, find, and, and, you know, I'm not following it so much right now, but um, I was was like supporting but since February 21 when we saw the the vaccine injured and and probably dead not being um investigated by the coroners um as as emergency MDs being on COVID watch like driving to the people and um and actually, they needed money, and they asked Viviana Fisher if she could support the pathology conference to get um, Anna Burkhardt the, the instruments and, and the microscopes and, and staining stuff, blah, blah. And she tried to get money, and then I think they realized that it's not available. And they discussed it. Right, a full mix run off with it. Yes, they are, they are dirty laundry out in the open. Mm. And it's interesting if you know the history, you know, I I contacted them in, in summer 2020 and I called and I had a telephone calls with both of them in fall 2020, <laughs> like on the day that our um, infection law was changed and I felt, um, had a phone call with Vivania Fisher where, where the water cannons were driving by and she was like, what are these cars? <laughs> but, you know, I told them everything I know and they were, they are lawyers. So um, 
it's not easy for them to de decide who is telling the right stuff and who's telling the wrong stuff, you know, and who has what kind of an expertise to, to be worth listening to. Mm. But they kind of realized, but I was like going against their narrative because I was saying your, your PCR approach is crap. I can help you to, to even destroy it more, but it's it's not Drosten, the big uh, bad guy. There are other people involved that need to have focus also. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not for scapegoats and I'm not like defending Drosten. I knew him once, but, and I phoned him once <laughs> and, um, but, um, you know, it's, it's a hot, ground out there when you are involved in virology and well I, I would just i would just add this that okay so we've got the rhinoformic group six hundred thousand euros that we know of we've got no virus group offering pledges in the half million range and again those two sums combined okay so we could stretch out two years in a laboratory with everyone on this page Getting a, getting paid to do work and um, have, I don't know if you'd get everything that you wanted done, but you'd get a lot done. And but but we're we're, we're watching nonsense play out across the public dialogue, and well, and again, weaponized with um, money. So now you, you have to question their their motives right now for. Well, everything that they've said, I would argue. I don't know if anyone wants to chime in on, on this particular subject, but um, I don't know what other people's relations are. But again, you know, a lot of what drives me is just people who are, who are well, grifting, I call it. And yeah. You know what's interesting? The um, press, a mainstream media article and, and like prime time report um, which uh, had my face in it was about that grifting that these are grifters mm. <laughs> it was in 2020 in December that they aired that and it destroyed kind of my reputation because I was in contact with one of their group and they um, actually paid for an interview for a film crew to um, interview me and, you know, had another physician and they were trying to do something. But I think, you know, maybe it's human egos. I, I don't know if, if controlled opposition or whatever, but, you know, when when I listen to these um, rebuttals and, and accusation, when I hear that, you know, it, it's there are people involved that I don't trust. Like what? Well, that much uh, is obvious <laughs> at the moment. Um, yeah, it's been like that from the beginning. But um, the hang on, I just I've lost my uh, participant screen. I just want to make sure. I don't miss Charles. Weakness, Charles Rixie. <laughs> Weakness. Um, but get to, uh, back down to business, or, or in our case, lack of business. Again, I, I, wa I want to know how come these people are able to 
get this much money to hand in a, in a fashion that's well in the right hands it would do an enormous amount of good you don't you don't have to give it to the orthodox establishments they're drowning in money but the actual dissident voices that have been speaking up and literally taking a hit such that you have to do anything and everything to survive day to day um like i say we could oh i 600,000 for an experiment is a <laughs> unless things have changed radically um it's, it's a terrible situation so anyone watching this please keep that in mind of what what these people were doing and capable of that they 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 could be sitting on those forms of money and if the accusations are true it's gone into full mix house and property as they i don't know again i'm just relaying the accusations that i've heard i'm sure it'll come out eventually but yeah it's it's about um they were afraid that um um in german like they he put it in a house and he can get it back mm. when he sells the house like a security the house was the security that's the way lawyers think and all these finance people you know mm -hmm. but if you have uh, money that people who want this to be investigated donated and you put it aside as as gold and 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 in 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 a house to, to have like um not not the state um, get, get your bank account and then it's gone mm. <laughs> and it it happened the same happened with the big flood in the uh, um valley um i don't know if you, you all um yeah, remember, I remember that, that yeah it was a devastating flood and some of these people um like bodo schiffmann a german physician um who is now in tanzania like eden like something um you know the people that run away i can understand if physicians run away if their practice uh, if their practices get raided i can understand that but it's interesting if you see that they are building up like like um, resorts and all that. But how wouldn't you want to live there? But you know, it's like um, yeah, I lost I lost what I wanted to say. say but um, yeah, he raised money for the R Valley, and then PayPal cancelled. <clears throat> wow. You, you know what happens then, you know? Yeah, yeah PayPal. It was, it was amounts like that. I think many Germans have kind of saved a little bit and, and it's donations from people here. Mm. And that's the sad thing, you know? They want it investigated and Anna Burkhardt would have needed help and, and they did raise that money anyways and, and in a different way, but... Um, if, if now they are accusing themselves and, and mistrust is in there, you know, I'm in a situation right now where I am offered a position as CEO and um, as CEO, you have to have a tight watch on, on your books. And um, if you lose grip and you don't see that your, your partner in crime <laughs> um, gets seven parts and you'd only get one and you know he he did write any 
they did work and they did call back the people and they had they were the only ones that didn't call back me but they didn't help me <laughs> okay well you know there are so many things that i have to accuse so many people in germany and i am running from lawyer to lawyer nobody says yeah let's do that because it's not possible in germany <laughs> and i think it's it's actually it is um a way to go to the U.S. and have these class action lawsuits, you know, and and you know these discussions uh, when actually the, the money seems not to be away, the gold is still there, and they have both, you know, it's an internal fight between two CEOs which haven't discussed, uh, had their stuff right, and mm. I'm right now looking at at all these responsibility you you have as a CEO because right now if I say something against let's say vaccines mm. <laughs> and um, a big which are hundred percent safe and effective. Just, just for YouTube. Company, and a big company thinks I really, really stretched what I said with saying what you just said. Um, and they come with a lawsuit that has a big um, 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 amount of money in it. Then, then the cost would be so high that you could kind of be like frozen from your um, because you can't pay even the cost to start. And that's actually. Um, what was discussed by the same journalist now discussing the Fulmich and Fischer case. And I had discussed it the same week that we need to be extensively careful. To, so, yeah, Walter, please. yeah I, I was wondering if we were going to be discussed because I had two uh, findings um, from the past few days that were medical that I was going to discuss. But are we, are we discussing um, policy in this? In this stream, whatever whatever you think needs to be tied up at this point, so people have a big, uh, a condensed picture of what's happening, right? So whether it's basic science, the policy, it it doesn't matter at this point, right? It's just to condense everything so people can come and say, "I saw that in that stream," and there was, like I say, and that that was the point. I think Charles was trying to. Um, get to at this point so um yes uh as a uh yes you, you you'll be able to discuss it Walter, for sure okay okay <laughs> so uh, um just for joanna so where are you going from now so we obviously we've, we've got a good understanding of what's happening in germany sounds sounds like a tv soap opera but what's the <laughs> immediate is. future plans it is. I'm, I'm. I'm running for my medical board now. I'm. I'm trying to raise money in a way. You know, that's independent of if I'm going to be that CEO of that um, physicians um, group. It's. It's. It's about four hundred physicians now, and you know, it would be great if we got the physicians in together. It's like all over the country they are separated but even in the starting phase we are many so i think that that's that's giving me hope and i i want kind of to connect these these colleagues because i think the only way is the physicians and um the interesting thing is that the reaction of the board 
wasn't that bad. They actually called me and asked me if I'm submitting. And um, so, um, and and we did a like ad, the paper ad for the for the regular paper for the physicians out there, and they um, want to share it on their homepage. So it's maybe they just need physicians <laughs> that have the guts to speak up. Well, same with scientists, same policymakers, same with anyone. It's uh, it's a crying shame after two and a half years. It's literally still the same people trying to shout and scream about the issue. So I'm I'm going round on the if you are last in, then you're going to speak. So I think Jonathan, if you're there, you were the uh, second to last. Going to give me in? Oh, well, my. Is that working? Yes, that's working. So how are you, bro? I'm pretty good. Um, I'm not really sure where to begin with this statement other than to say that I think we have to be sure that we start from or try to always check ourselves on parsimony. Um, Hold on one second. I wasn't meaning to to keep myself off of the screen all the time. I just didn't want to waste your bandwidth when I I didn't need to be. I've got tons of it, too. Buckets. Yeah, you're in your you're in your tons of of bandwidth. Does that work? That's that works, you. but we can see me twice. That I, th- I think uh, that yeah. one. It. There that we one. go. Lovely. Um, I just feel like we really need to be careful with with constantly being as parsimonious as possible about it, and and so I keep seeing from more angles the the huge possibility of explaining a serious amount of the fiasco of the last two years by simply putting everybody on their back on on their unstable footing with regard to a novel virus and there's no treatment and forget about what you know about respiratory disease just walk away um and i'm trying now to to sort of formulate this in 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 sort of the best succinct presentation that I can and I'm just not there yet but I think I think the the one of the red threads that runs through what what Johanna has said and what others have said what other groups are doing is that doctors were taken out of the equation and this has no precedence in history and a significant amount of the damage which was done in the first year of the pandemic is is largely this i don't I, the word people are using now is iatrogenic but i don't i don't have that word in my consciousness as meaning anything so for me it's just this change in in the way that the doctors were thinking they understood the way the human body worked and they were somehow bamboozled to think that what they had learned over the last 20 years was now irrelevant and uh I think that's that's most of of my main message now and and I'm I'm also trying to learn an awful lot about about what's going on with this with the disease progression and 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 multiple exposures and and my my gut feeling has always been that the transfection is a multifactorial nightmare and so I'm very wary right now of the it, it does still seem to have this momentum that transfection as a general methodology is still being pushed to normalization, which I'm really against. Um, That's probably what I would say is the most important thing for me right now. So I'm going to 
ask a few questions that I know will um, come up in the chat. And I'll just say thank you to Marty for putting all Jonathan's links in the chat. Um, so there's uh, so parsimony is a uh, important. Right? It's one of those one of those fundamentals like that uh, the mathematical constants for specificity and uh, sensitivity that was so eloquently done on Jonathan's stream. And again, I would I would congratulate Jonathan on just doing such a brilliant job of. Um, well, each one of his streams is again pedagogic. I watch them. I learn something um, that makes it um, if I'm learning something, then all of you are learning something uh, more, which is uh, so that that makes it of vital importance. The so the the issue around parsimony, if we put it in the context of the restrictions that were placed at the beginning of the pandemic, which which were again, summarized as completely novel and therefore required completely novel approaches to uh, contain, um, in retrospect, looks very, very um, contrived. It's not to say that there wasn't that there wasn't and there aren't issues. So my question to you, Jonathan, would be, despite the... I, I'm cautious of using the language of those that were pushing plandemic quote-unquote plandemic type jargon at the beginning i would argue that this that we see increased all-cause mortality which is the one statistic that i feel comfortable with i saw the stream i didn't see it to the end but i saw the one you were doing with john Collin, where he says that there's all these drops in flu statistics etc and therefore it all must be this is how I interpreted it correct me if I'm wrong that everything that we're seeing was flu or pneumonia like illnesses and I'm I'm of the opinion that SARS is not a pneumonia I'm very much with Walter on I think Sparkus would probably agree maybe I, I don't know about the others here right now but I I do see it as a systemic disease just maybe in a susceptible cohort the respiratory component comes through and perhaps we've blinded ourselves somewhat by its nomenclature and um, particularly the uh, the spike as it as it was right now or, or it, as it was relative to the current time. And have we, are we putting blinders on by trying to look at it just always as a, as a respiratory disease? Or should we be, in your opinion, do we, is that enough? Or should we broaden the scope to try to understand the disease at a more uh, or <clears throat> full dimensionality of the disease? So I think that's where, um, and with, with with the the humbleness of an idiot, um, I say that my biology has expanded a lot in terms of what um, <clears throat> my 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 most what seems like the simplest explanation in my head right now is that the and it will it's still not something I can fully explain here, but let, let me first of all I agree with you. 
that the virus that was or the sickness that was present in Wuhan and elsewhere around the world is something different than a pneumonia. Um, it may manifest as a pneumonia plus, but it's it's not um, it's not a pneumonia. Um, my thing that I've been saying on my stream a lot is that one of the things that I've come to doubt is the fact that the original SARS virus was the first SARS virus ever to infect people and that it was cleared and disappeared and that none of the lab leaks that have happened in the last 15 years have done anything. Um, and in that context, um, I think a relatively aspecific PCR test um, could be used to inflate the impact of such a pathogen. So in other words, even in the worst case scenario, I wouldn't expect them to be able to make a coronavirus stable enough to do what they purport this one did. But by taking a bunch of these PNI numbers and an A-specific test, they could take a very dangerous pathogen and make it into what appears to be this very fast-moving pandemic in 2020. And I think it is a, it is a combination of illusions that we're, we're dealing with here and confusion that we're dealing with here. And the thing that I meant with parsimony is that I've tried so hard to understand to the best of my ability what, what people really think about viruses. And up until 2020, there wasn't really anyone who thought that coronaviruses were really capable of doing what something like measles or smallpox does or could have done um, for a wide variety of reasons. Um, and that's also something that um, is the one thing that I liked about John Collins interview a lot was that um, <clears throat> it really helped underscore my, my, belief that that Peter Peter McCullough and these kind of people who came out very early Wolfgang Wodach and said that there's a lot of respiratory disease over here that we've always blamed on coronaviruses and never thought we could fix and that has always been in the back of Fauci's mind you know man oh man what if I could do something with that and uh so I, I see something I don't understand but I do feel like they're the best example or the best way to summarize it, there's been a lot of exaggeration. And I think if we get to the heart of that exaggeration, is we'll it, is find... It, uh, sorry to interrupt. Is it exaggeration or manipulation? This is... Because uh, I think we need to be very precise with our language at, at, at this point. Yeah, sure. And I, I think that's probably a better word. I mean, sure, they're manipulating everyone. Um, and it's at all levels, right? I think a lot of people in government have manipulated to believe that dangers are one thing when they're really another. and And so that's what that's what for me has become most interesting because just to say it flat out in my estimation, gain of function research in viruses in general is not at all, even close to the most dangerous biotechnology out there right now. It's not even close. And so it surprises me more and more, the more they talk about it. And, and so that part is starting to stand out like a sore thumb. It's almost like they're just dancing over here, screaming and yelling, look over here, look over here, look over here. And uh, the more uh, I look... Are you, saying, are you saying in, in an effect to draw attention away from, well, the... From other more dangerous biotechnology. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Um, 
perhaps uh, I, I don't want to cut you off, but um, no, no, go ahead. I, I didn't want to take up that much time either. I want to listen to what everybody's got to say. Because that's a, that's a great uh, Jessica. You should have been next, but how <laughs> on the the dangerous technology? I think Sparkus has done such a great job of um, really articulating that in a, in a format that's in depth yet is approachable for people who um, perhaps don't have the well, they'd come from different backgrounds. So if you can hear me, dude, I see your mic yes, is off. The, um, the potential of uh, modern biotechnology and bio-nanotechnology Sorry, and synthetic Tim. biology. Sorry, Spark, because um, what, what Waldo just wants to... I just got a, a, an email from Matthew. He's trying to get into the... Uh, he is? ...to the call. Uh... I don't see him on the participant list. I'll send him a invite again. Thank you. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. Important interruption. Uh, Sparkus, please go. It's um, the thing about it is that a lot of these things are a double-edged sword. They have a great deal of potential for drug development, um, but at the same time, they can also be used for entirely nefarious purposes, um, re-engineering human biology, essentially, um, uh, making cells manipulable, like controllable in in, in certain ways. For ex- like. Um, TRPV magneto, for instance, um, which is where they take a uh, an ion channel and tag it with ferritin, and then they can open it remotely with RF. Um, things like like uh, dreads, for instance, um, designer receptors exclusively um, activated by designer drugs. Um, those are um, designer receptors that are uh, that respond to, to small molecule ligands that are um specific to that receptor so i mean that that would be great for for certain things if, if i mean if you're trying to to um target like a like a tumor or something it's great but if, but if you have like a neuron express this designer receptor and then and now it's being activated by i don't know something some something in people's drinking water for instance that that could be you know cons- very concerning um, there, there are so many different things that they're investigating in biotechnology right now that are just, I mean, it's, it's it, what we're talking about here is mad science. Really, it is because it's, um, it's multidisciplinary uh, to such an extent that even nanotechnology and, and uh, biology PhDs have a hard time grasping what the bio nanotechnology guys are doing because these guys are taking multiple fields and multiple disciplines and integrating them together into essentially a single new hybrid discipline that incorporates all the different aspects of biology, um, nanotech, semiconductor engineering, and so on. So now we start looking at, at biological structures as though they could be computer components, for instance, like they're going into things like um, DNA based computing using using um, DNA logic, um, using uh, receptors and ligands as lo- as Boolean logic gates, um, like stuff like Ehud Gazet's work with with self with amyloid based self assembly and using amyloid as metal casts. Um, Things like using amyloid fibrils as con- conductive peptides, similar to like P dot PSS, 
um, kind of essentially like an organic conductor, um, and as well as taking certain proteins that have certain um, optical qualities, believe it or not, um, and having them respond to infrared light. Um, I mean, it's just, it's a completely new field now where they're getting down into the physics of, of biology to such an extent that it's, it doesn't, I mean, you can t take everything you know about, about life sciences and throw it completely out the window. They're doing stuff with, with bio nanotechnology that is, I mean, the, the implications of what they want to do with this are, are frightening. Uh, it's yes. just, what do they want to do with it? Um, completely take control of, of cellular biology to such an extent that, I mean, you could, you could view living cells as essentially just another nano machine or soft robot. Um, I mean, you could take, um, what they want to do is stuff like taking bacteria, fungi, protists, and so on. Um, and uh, incorporating de like designer proteins into their genomes that that do things that you you don't even find in nature. Um, entirely new proteins. They take they take motifs from. I mean, if you think about it, there are proteins out there that do bind metal ions, like you know, like zinc fingers and whatnot. Yeah. And think about having a protein. Uh, an entirely novel protein that 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 turns a bacterium or fungi or protist into essentially a little tiny miniature construction crane, an intracellular one that can construct scaffolds inside someone's cells. Uh, things like uh, remodeling the cytoskeleton, the extracellular matrix, um, incorporating metal ions into, in, into things and to create novel structures that, that don't exist in nature, uh, geometric structures, um, uh, polyhedra and so on and so forth. I mean, you're, what we're talking about here is, is essentially witchcraft. Nobody, uh, I mean, people don't even think that this stuff is possible. They, they never even consider it um, except for this tiny select handful of elite scientists who have taken these these different disciplines, physics, nanotechnology, um, biology, and hybridized them into, into a single discipline. So, I mean, really people need to start looking at this from a whole new perspective. Um, this is something where, I, I mean, it's the, the potential for weaponization is just shocking and the potential for, for unethical use. Um, is, I mean, just surreptitiously without people even realizing that, that anything happened at all is just, it's astounding. Um, so I'm, I'm like really listening to what you're saying. And it, it sounds like the thinking if, if, if there is such a thing uh, of machines, I'm serious right now. Um, so just you know to 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 throw in some uh, some philosophical thoughts um what do you what do you think the chances are that this this is the so-called thinking of machines and that like the potential for ais to have uh kind of absconded control uh or not like what do you think about that idea because 
you know. Well, they they want to use machine learning for things like protein design, because oh, a I lot think of they the, already are. A lot of this stuff is essentially it, it's beyond the ability of even the most brilliant scientists to to uh, like to to come up with a synthetic like a designer protein that incorporates in, entirely new motifs into it it's it's the kind of thing where they really have to look at at like at ai and, and um just just using like like gp gpu racks for instance like like um the thing about this is that a lot of people don't realize this um i'm, I'm sure some of you do but um biotechnology is advancing um alongside moore's law um, it's it's moving in locks in lockstep with it. If uh, the the more um, computational capacity we have, um, the more of a capacity we, the capacity we have to analyze these systems, um, including with things like like machine learning, for instance. And and what we're looking at here, um, basically, they want the the ability to completely re-engineer cellular biology potentially from the ground up if they want it to. Um, it's just, it, it's, it's a thing where we have to look at, at cells as though they, I mean, like and, and cells and biology and, and living organisms as soft robots, as, as machines, essentially, this is, they're kind of in this, this worldview where they're, they're very, very like materialistic kind of a thing. There's like, you know, I mean, this gets into kind of like a, a kind of a philosophical thing, and I'd, I'd rather not. I'd rather keep it scientific. But um, oh, science we, without philosophy is a dead science. So the, um, the thing, about, the thing about it is that Matthew, welcome. Well, Glad you could make it. A lot of oh, hi yeah, Matthew. A lot of people are still trapped in this kind of like thinking with like Cartesian dualism, for instance, where they think that you know people have a soul and, and so on and, and uh, an inviolable essence to ourselves. But the people who are, who are fully committed to, to this bio nanotechnology business don't see it that way. They see people right. as, as they see or, people and organisms as machines. Um, I agree with that, you that, that have, yes, that have a, um, a, a, like an ordered hierarchy of chemical reactions that they undergo to, um, to create all the different behaviors that we, that we see various organisms have. I mean, all the way down to, to uh, single celled organisms, all the way up to multicellular, like large complex multicellular organisms. So this kind of like the strict materialist viewpoint leads to, to the view that people are essentially um, that our actions are deterministic, that we don't have any free will that we don't, right. um, we we can't really govern like our our own actions. Um, we're just we're just essentially like free floating chemical reactions. Is is the, is the belief? This is, so from that standpoint, from that perspective, um, I mean, it it, it becomes a, a sort of an ethical imperative for these people, I think, to try and re-engineer biology to make people. I don't know, more, less aggressive, more ethical. Um, I I've seen articles where, where bioethicists are actually seriously debating whether or not it's a good idea to like re-engineer human beings to be less violent by manipulating, uh, various receptors that are respond and enzymes 
that are responsible for certain neurotransmitter activity related to aggression and so on. So basically, there's a real critical part. I don't know if you were going to come to this, but if if, if you miss it, um, in those papers that Spartacus is discussing right now, they literally define it as it's obligatory first strike weapon. If it if it exists, they have to use it. That's where their discussion had taken them. And these are bioethicists of all things. Um, this it's a stunning, well, breakdown of of frameworks that I I grew grew up and trained with. That we that I would hear that that you know that's a that's algorithms for defense. And computing, basically, not not life science. Uh, but anyway, I'm I'm interrupting Spark because he's really getting into I, I, it. But I wanted to get that out there. That's how these people think. I went ahead and shared um, one of those papers in the chat. Um, let's see what else we have here. Um, and here's another one. And the thing yeah. about this is that. Oh. Uh, it's what we're seeing essentially is bioethicists who are linked to the military biodefense establishment um, permitting all sorts of things that most of us would consider abhorrent. Um, just unbelievable stuff. I mean, look, look at, at um, um, well, I mean, some of them, some of them are not, some of them have, tried to to sound the alarm on some of this stuff uh if you look wow. at, at, at some of like uh james giordano's speeches um and the thing about it is i mean i've seen stuff that's just shocking uh, if you haven't seen james giordano uh speaking at the modern warfare institute at west point he's he's speaking before um u.s military cadets um and and Likewise, here's another video of uh, Charles Morgan, um, and they're dis what they're discussing is the potential of using nanoparticles um, to influence uh, civilian populations, to influence enemy combatants. Um, it, James Giordano speaks frankly about the possibility of, for instance, going to, to parlay with someone who is like the head of a, like a violent non-state actor, for instance. Um, and uh, dusting the rim of his glass with some, um, essentially with like a, a, a neurological disruptor nanoparticle, something that, that bioaccumulates in people's neurons, something that, that um, uh, affects neural connectivity and human behavior. And now this, this person's like, uh, you can, the way he describes it, you can either have this this guy. Um, you have this guy come into the meeting like like all belligerent, like oh, or I hate I hate this other guy, and then then he comes out of the meeting and he's and he's oh, this guy's great, kind of a deal. Like like after he's he's been neurologically influenced by this, um, now he's he's become more suggestible, uh, more open to the the viewpoint of the negotiator and so on. And and he further elaborates like you could you could get his followers to now follow this this whole manipulated mindset or you could you could fracture the trust of the group and 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 cause them to to disperse and disband because they 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 um no longer have any faith in their leadership because now he's expressing completely he's pulled a 180 and expressing completely different views 
um, what, what they're discussing here is quite literally neuro warfare. It's sixth generation warfare. If fifth generation warfare was information warfare, you know, people, you know, uh, sharing and spreading all sorts of information online, for instance, um, then sixth generation warfare is manipulating the sources of that information by actually directly manipulating people's brains. Um, it looks to me like, you know, like, like, um, military brass and policy guys and, and bioethicists are, are now to the point where they're openly discussing the potential of neuro warfare on top of information warfare of manipulating, um, an adversary's mind to achieve, to achieve military and strategic objectives or manipulating their, uh, or manipulating civilian populations, for instance, to create unrest wherever you wanted or, or political. Which, which I, 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 I would and... just add a caveat here. They're able to do expertly via fifth generation warfare. Let's put it that way. Uh, I want to yes. welcome Charles to the chat. There's, you can, um, mute your mic at any time charles uh same for you matt it's not um not formalized in any way i i i did sort of put some structure on it because i was i wanted to sort of relay charles's hopes and aims for this meeting it was charles that, that suggested it so uh, charles can you hear me no can i unmute him but uh, yeah, it doesn't allow me to unmute him, which is probably a good good thing. <laughs> you shouldn't be able to just take control of someone else's mic. So uh, um, <laughs> uh, let me. <laughs> well, I say it's good. They do it. They do it anyway, right? It's not. It's not like they don't. <laughs> it's just. Something so overt would be uh, would be wrong. So, um, whilst uh, whilst we're waiting for Charles, I want to just say hi to Matt in as close as probably we'll ever get to meet space. Good to see hey, you. Sorry, sir. I, was I didn't know. Didn't know. No, I I I added you because because we discussed it in the week. I said, "Dude, you got to come on stream." I thought I thought what you did in the week was uh, some top tier work. And uh, I was just, I got a stream with you, dude. And so I just, I just added you. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> just, so good, good to see you. Um, so uh, let's, let's see. I, I think Walter is itching to get his, uh, his theories on here. So to uh, sketch in, sketch in the dots from. Uh, well, I, I, I'll keep it brief, but I, this week I'm, 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 I'm rather excited because I think I made two very uh, important discoveries, which may not actually be that surprising. Um, the the first of the fir I've been working with the idea of spike protein endothelial disease as a foundation for much of what we're seeing with uh, with COVID and with the spike protein injections, and I'm now beginning to expand that to a spike protein injury disease, where I think. The foundation of everything we're seeing is based upon tissue injury by the spike protein, in particular the S1 unit. And I don't think what we saw was ever pneumonia. I believe what we saw was endothelial damage in the alveoli and in the lung, which 
caused the ground glass opacities and the gas exchange problems in precisely the same way paracrat poisoning does. And if you look at the pathology of paracrat poisoning, it is the exact same um, creation of excessive ROS and the exact same damage to the uh, alveoli, resulting in the exact same type of response um, that can, can I, what, can is being you, called pneumonia. What, what type of poisoning? I don't think I'm familiar Paracrat. with the term. Uh, let me give you the link. It's, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. It is exactly a mimic of paracrat poisoning. Um, uh, fun, fun fact, kiddos. Uh, apparently, uh, suicide with paracrat is a guaranteed way out. <laughs> there is, by the way, there is no treatment or cure for poisoning by paracrat. This is the uh, this is the paper. Oh, oh. it's interesting. Uh, Basically, it's inter interstitial lung disease. That's that's the classification of disease, and there are different uh, underlying pathologies that can cause the same um, clinical um, um, uh, presentation. Because um, you can have it with uh, vascular diseases, like autoimmune diseases, do um, oftentimes um, like rest restrictive. Um, um, lung infect um, 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 changes and um, viral pneumonia is classically uh, interstitial lung disease. So it's um, so it's it's overlapping, and also these um, inhalative gas inhalation can also cause um, like gas intoxication, like smoke damage or something, can cause this interstitial swelling, and this can have influence on on the gas exchange. So I'm absolutely going with you there, and I reported that to the military here in May 2020. So and wow, your military did what? It, it, it is the endothelium. That starts it with paraquat poisoning. So it is the exact same. Here's a paragraph. Um, oh, one second. Here's a paragraph. It is the exact same endothelial damage from paraquat. That is why is this not copying? Um, you know what? I've I've had issues copying in Zoom. Um, I don't want to spook people, but uh, well, you know. Well, is, here I'll, I'll I'll just copy the entire. You can scroll down to it. It's 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 in my post. I put the. Uh, I can copy a link, but not text. Okay, so there's the link to the post that I I referenced the uh, the the paraquat uh, article from. So that's my first. In, in, and therefore, all the early treatment was completely erroneous because it was not a pneumonia. I mean, there may have been secondary pneumonia caused by the this insult from the spike protein but it was not a pneumonia and it was treated completely wrong uh i believe um uh who cameron site i can't remember his name the the the, the uh, so ER carl sardine carl sardine yes I think, yeah. yes that, that that said it was like people the cameron were, were carl, like high altitude pulmonary edema yes yeah. And, and, and then people were, were, were put on the top of mount everest well that's because the blood gas exchange the endothelium, it, it, it's not allowing blood gas exchange. It was not a a, a pneumonia due to an, an, an infection. It was due to the actual endothelium being destroyed, destroying the blood glass, the blood 
gas barrier therefore no matter how much air you pump into the obviously if there's no barrier for it to function with it doesn't matter how much oxygen you're pumping in obviously so um may i may i it's worse it's worse because in pneumonia you usually have the bronchi being infected and you have like like going into alveoli so and and the people get exhausted by their muscles to breathe properly so you could put in pressure to get in the muscles but in this case in this interstitial lung disease and i learned that in like my first shift <laughs> with a hunter virus pneumonitis is a it's it's an infection of the alveoli and the, the little bronchi so you need a different setting of the ventilators you have to have low pressure and, and low tidal because you you, you, you damage these are these inflamed alveoli and so that's that's the half an hour that I got in my first shift about that hunter virus pneumonitis because there's this boop ventilation when you have lung injury you usually use that as well to not move too much but have like high oxygen and all that so with the standard ARDS settings and I have done ventilations with CPAP and BPAP um, so I, I know what I'm talking about with the standard settings you can even you just do no more harm that's what you said in the beginning this iatrogenic yeah. means by the actions of the physician you get harmed more and that's we always have to look that we don't do it but that's one of the main reasons people die in the statistics. So, <laughs> well, it, it was uh, Charles. I'm hoping we can. Have we missed him again? God damn it! I wanted. <sighs> I wanted he's, he pops in and he's popping out. So I, I'm hoping he'll come back. But n never mind. I want to, um, uh, Matt, I give an overview of why everyone was here, which is uh, hopefully Charles will do a better job of it in a second but the idea was was to give a summation of from where you've been so people can condense and watch this stream and say okay i saw that person that person talking uh, about this particular subject and they can uh, it's all available in one stream so I, I know you've um you've upset a lot of people um i salute you for that sir uh, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, Kevin. I hadn't. There was one other point I wanted to make. Oh, I wasn't okay, quite okay, finished. Okay, okay. Yeah, remember, there were two points I wanted to make. That was the first. If oh, I okay. may make the second. Please, please. Okay, okay thank you. Yeah, the, the, the other point is I believe the heterogeneity of the autoimmune issues we are seeing post spike protein exposure and post COVID due to the spike protein is because of repeated injury. And if you look at the um, myositis, for example, um, if you look at traumatic brain injury, it is the damaged tissue that is responsible for the induction of autoimmune disease. And I believe this is why we're seeing such a heter heterogeneic response of autoimmune issues is because it simply has to do with which 
individuals' tissues are being damaged repeatedly, inducing these, these autoantibodies. And lastly, also why we are seeing the rise in prion disease, because there are papers proving that repeated injury to the brain in CTE is concurrent with developing prion disease. So this is my other big finding of the past week. Okay. And I'm looking forward to people's comments. Thank I, you. I, I have I have many, Walter. Um, we'll get through. Okay. Wow. I just I just want to get through the uh, initial. Whoops, was that me? Uh, I promised the soundboard to stay off, but um, I do apologize. Oh, I think someone just subscribed. That's what that was. Charles, good to see you, brother. Um, I I've tried to relay why you wanted to pull this meeting together, and so I'm gonna rewind. And hopefully we can hear you. Can you test your mic? Can you? Yes, we can. Um, please, if you could state for the people here, because I, I, there's no way I would have captured all that you wanted um, in in those opening statements. So please explain to explain why everyone is here. Well, first of all, I didn't know it was going to be this hard to get everybody together at one time, but I do appreciate, uh, there's actually several people in here that I've never talked to before, and I wish that wasn't the case, but it is what it is. Walter, obviously you're one of them. Um, I've followed your work for a long time, and it's awesome. Thank you. Uh, in fact, earlier today I was reading uh, your latest thing, uh, I can't remember all the science, but basically about how it's not a lung disease, right. which is exactly which is exactly what we're seeing. And the the bottom line is that all of you know Jay, and I've been working with him. But I, I've for the last six months or so, I've been working on a specific project. Where really, I was just I was trying to figure out like what the big picture was because I had been studying censorship and I had been studying some other stuff, but I was also the person who was involved with the diffuse proposal. So the, the proposal that states we're going to put furin cleavage sites and bat viruses, we're going to mess with interferon receptors in the ORF genes. Um, we're going to try to find a bad virus that can use the DC sign receptor. And so, and all of those things are obviously in SARS virus. And I, so I don't, since I don't know all of you, I don't know if you're aware of the research that I've been doing. And more specifically that I've gotten to a place where there's some things I can say for sure. And because of that, I think that we can, we can, we don't have to wait to know what the origin is to know the origin of the pandemic, if that makes sense. We know the origin of the virus. We don't know the origin of the virus, but we do know what has caused this pandemic. And so I'll just cut it short and say, what we know is that whoever made the virus, a group of scientists like leading scientists, like Fauci, Jeremy Farrar, uh, Christian Drosten, Stefan Pullman in Germany, 
Marion Koopmans in the Netherlands, Patrick Valance, also in the UK. There were four countries, all their scientists got together, and they basically, on purpose, suppressed the existence of the furin cleavage site and the existence of the HIV inserts. And they didn't do it because it was a conspiracy theory. They did it because they knew exactly what it meant. And they needed to suppress that. They didn't think that anybody was going to figure it out that quickly, is what happened. And what I don't know, and where I think that really you guys can help, is I don't know why Fauci decided to keep that wild-type spike like it was. Because basically what all this comes down to is that I've, I've been able to figure out, I've found the proof to show exactly what Fauci lied about, exactly what they were trying to censor in, in the first place, and why they were trying to censor it, and different steps they took to censor it. Uh, and you can read the, the watchmaker thing if you want, because that kind of covers some of it. But then more recently, I've, I've discovered, A, that the construction of the virus is very much like the structure and construction of an HIV virus or an HIV vaccine or other types of vaccines using what's called mosaic structure, the conserved epitopes. And even the specific epitopes that they used followed a very similar pattern that they've been doing for two decades. So first, what that tells me is that the Vaccine Research Center knew exactly what it was doing and keeping all of those pieces in. And the other thing that I've figured out is that we've, all, we've always just kind of assumed that Fauci learned about the fear and cleavage site when everybody else did. And that's not true. Because they had to make the decision to retain the fear and cleavage site by January 13th, which is important because that's a week before human-to-human -human transmission was even announced. So at the time that they made that decision to retain the fear and cleavage site, they knew that that fear and cleavage site made it almost certainly a pandemic-level virus. And they didn't tell anybody for two months until they could get the final draft of the Proxima Origin out and control the narrative. And we're talking about the world's leading scientists in several countries. Yeah, hashtag they knew. Um, that, and that, that is a fact. There's, um, I, actually, uh, uh, let me say one more thing, because basically what I wanted to do is I, I needed all of you to wrap your heads around the fact that that is a fact, that it's beyond, like, they have in writing, they've published where they made this decision, but nobody has ever asked Nobody's ever asked Dr. Fauci, when did you hear about the Fearing Cleveland site? Because he, he cannot, he, because he learned about it before they had told anybody that it was transmissible to humans. Now, why wouldn't they tell everybody that it was transmissible? Why would they wait to let China do it? And because remember, this was a respiratory coronavirus. It was spreading I mean, why would they wait? So uh, and let me, because I'm, I'm going to interject two things and then I'm going to 
dip out for 30 seconds. And, wow! Uh, oops. Let me just uh, switch off my uh, restream alerts. It's If we get a... Bear with me. Um, what I wanted to say is maybe uh, it's a possibility that there was a legacy that Fauci was after in that he, he, he cured AIDS by sending out this live attenuated vaccine. Everyone got it and AIDS went away. Maybe, maybe. But me personally, um, I've as compelling as the live attenuated vaccine narrative was, I don't, I'm not buying. I'm not buying that particular one because there are elements that I recognise in the nature and the biochemistry that I understand, which tells me that it, this amounts to more. And you would you would do everything that you could to avoid inclusion of anything related to proteinopathies, anything, right? You don't exactly. you don't do you don't you turn over entire industry like they did with the in the UK because of suspicion around BSE, right? And it was something that I know that you would look for in the medical field because it even got to the point where. Um, medical instruments have all become disposable rather than use them, autoclave them and, re and use them again on the next patient because they're concerned about transmission of these agents from person to person. Right? It's not something that's new or novel in any way. And so to see so many elements pointing in that direction, until we can dismiss that, I'm... I'm going to hold the position. We may as we may as well de facto hold to the worst line of reasoning, constrained by science or or, or a or parsimonious science, as as Jay put well, it. Well, that, let me just go ahead and and just kind of let, just lay it out in like a one minute, so that way, because really what I want to do is I want to get your guys' ideas. Um, because the the paper that I was working on, it it looked it looked at all of this and said, okay, what are the, what's the collateral damage? What are the implications of the decision to censor these two things, the furin cleavocyte and the the rest of the inserts? And I I saw early treatments, obviously, humongous, um, the vaccine design, because they didn't tell people about the furin cleavocyte. And it was retained in the vaccine design. And I went back and looked at 40 different studies over the previous two decades. And for every virus, or for every major vaccine that they made, for RSV, HIV, flu, uh, MERS, SARS, they always took out the furin cleavage. Always. Always. Mm -hmm. In fact, I have on camera the head of Pfizer's department of vaccine development saying we always take it out in 2014. They knew it was um, it, it would cause wide-scale tissue tropism. That's that's the understanding. And you don't right. But they, this is self-admitted, right? Sorry, Jessica, sorry? I didn't catch that. It, it was self-admitted is the point on, on video, mm. right? Yes. Correct. Yes. More of and in all the studies. So the biology was understood. Again, there's there's nothing novel here that we're looking at. 
right? It's just the circumstances are novel. Please, Joanne, and I'm just bear with me, guys. I'm just gonna um, knit out just for a second. Bear with me. Um, so, actually, I'll just list the topics: early treatment, vaccines, um, censorship, which I've already proven. Um, uh, and then there's really just things list related to rhinopathy, all the amyloid stuff, basically everything that all of you have been studying and been trying to warn people about for two and a half years, you've been, you've been building the evidence and proving it. And I've been kind of over on my side, building the evidence of the censorship. And I, I came to a point where I realized that they were connected, that the HIV was real. That's what they were. One of the two things they were trying to censor and that's why I wanted to get you guys together because all we have to do is get someone to ask Fauci, when did you first hear about the Fearing Cleavage site? He has no good answer because whatever he says, he knew and didn't tell the world. These leading scientists didn't tell the world that this thing was pandemic level transmissible. And they knew it before China even announced it. Yes. Um, Guys, just give me two seconds. I'll and be back. It's also the reason why we have long COVID now. So whatever long COVID is, all this stuff, it all ties back to what they, the decisions that they made in early February 2020. Yeah. And so what, really what, I'm, what I wanted to do is get you guys to understand that. So to help put that into, like, as you're thinking about all these other things, join with me in thinking about, okay, what does that mean? And how can we raise awareness about it? Because I believe in my heart of hearts that we can hold Fauci accountable without waiting for the origin. Because we are, I, we already have enough. That's, that's what all of you guys have been doing. For, like Matt has been working with like PCR. Joanna has been working with basically everything, the HIV inserts. Walter, you've been doing incredible stuff and i feel i hate the fact that this is the first time meeting you because i i have so many questions but but kevin he was already working the, the prion stuff spartacus was kind of like me he was looking at, at everything and jessica was doing a lot of the same stuff knowing the immunology and the vaccines so i can't think of a and and jc i don't even know if he's here but same thing i can't think of a better group of human beings on earth for me to ask this, everybody me to pose this too. And so really, like, I, I'm just honored to, to be at this place where I'm talking to you guys. But now I, I, and I think that we need to take this, we need to take what Pratham found, we need to take what Montagnier did, we need to take what you guys have done and, and figure out how we're gonna explain this to people. We don't have to have all the answers. But I think it's time to start laying this stuff out, at least what we do know. Agreed. So, Please, Joanna, I'll, I'll, I'll be back. Pretty much it. So now you guys, I mean, you can ask questions or whatever, but I, I just wanted to get your guys' minds engaged on that topic. I just wanted to say that I have a quite, quite a strong hypothesis on the why. Okay. And that is involved or, or comes from my involvement with Judy Mikovits and Professor Montagnier and his group. 
because I got in contact with both of them in 2018 already. I was studying the retroviruses and the contamination of, of the cell cultures in our laboratories, which was confirmed, it was, which was put in the open by Judy Mikowitz, and then she got destroyed, career assassinated by Fauci and, and others. And afterwards, there are publications by FDA on a new method of PCR testing, you know, but what did they investigate? All our lab cultures and showed that <laughs> these lab cultures are contaminated with gamma retroviruses and beta retroviruses, not the lentiviruses, the HIV ones, but um, like the, the um, mouse-related, um, the XMRVs. And I... <laughs> We were discussing the HIV inserts um, in, in summer 2020 on Twitter, I think, with Chiki uh, and, and others and um, um, some people from, from connection with George Webb, I think. Um, and we were finding, like, like Montagny said it in an interview, and I mentioned that, that he said in the RRTG13, we have the same uh, exogenous uh, informative elements like in the um, COVID. So no wonder it has this close homology. But when you look at Montagny's work, you have these inserts being, like, these mosaic uh, GP120 that you mentioned, these are from gene bank inscribed samples from Germany 2015, from Netherlands 2016, and Sweden 2017. How does that get into RRTG13, which comes from a cave in 2013? I wonder. And then Limen Yang's work comes to mind. So, but we were discussing this, and and I was like putting up out this null hypothesis on the natural origin stuff because from the scientific method, you need to have a null hypothesis. And I said, well, we have HIV inserts. We, if that would be natural. We wouldn't find other any other lab contaminant virus in there because that would be highly un, 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 certain that that you have a natural evolving and then lab origin um, contamination in in the genome and they ran a blast and I, I pulled out a paper where they had built these gamma retrovirus consensus papers, uh, primers, and 10 of these 12 primers were positive on the, H uh, on the COVID. So um, that's where uh, I got in contact with Montagnier's group directly, and I was in contact since, since 2018. And actually, I got his death confirmed by my contact to him, who was in, in exchange with him, and they... Um, when Montagnier died, I asked if that's true when these rumors were out there. And my contact sent me a message that Montagnier confirmed that the text was that they are using Judy's virus as a bioweapon. 
So, and there's this mouse culture in the Wuhan Institute of, of um, the mouse colony um, in the Wuhan Institute, where some people show that there's this VP62 variant of the XMRV, which is a known lab contaminant from the Silverman lab, which was sent over to Pe Beijing and, and they had it in these lab. Uh, Wuhan samples, batch hit samples as well. But how, how come a known and published lab contaminant into these, for me, it's lab cultures that are contaminated because these, these XMRVs are published to spread vertically within a lab to the other cell cultures within 10 days. So, um, we have like and Stefan Pöhlmann is sending his um, Vero E6 cells from Göttingen, who are carrying the the human ACE um, ACE um, two receptor for investigation all over the world. So, if we have this contamination, and Judy says is true, and all our biologicals who are produced in cell cultures, like with the approach that Spartacus explained that these are little machines and like this, um, these heat shock proteins that were found in the AstraZeneca are signs of stress for cells. So this can happen if, if you produce stuff and it can contaminate a vaccine and you need to have quality control for it. And what, what happens now is we have, don't have any quality control plus. And that's the point where I say all these narratives of this probably a vaccine against HIV or something, you know, Osterhaus from Rotterdam, the colleague of Marion Kupans, published in 2001 or two that the GP120 surface induces antibody-dependent enhancement, yep. specifically immune targeting. And we have these surroundings around the R R um, receptor binding domain that you showed lately, um, Charles, that are all immunoattractive, like, like CD4 and CD8 and attacking. And, and when, when you know this is known since over 20 years, and then you realize, okay, um, there was a little bit of time where it died out, but then the next generation of, like, like Kevin says, um, postdocs comes to place and you put in the narrative. What you say, if you have the censorship, you, you build the main, mainstream academia in that way. Um, yes, and for the why, these injured, like MECFS, not neuro um, injured people, vaccine injured, possibly, or, or other um, transmissible bryonogenic. I, I mean, what Judy says is the envelope alone of the XMRV, which is a retrovirus, um, can cause these damages. And this is, for me, the concept prior to COVID for ME-CFS, for me, was 
it's like a prion disease. So I have to calm down the infection and the production of, of uh, these, these proteins. That was my therapeutic approach. And early therapy is, is really crucial in that part because I, I went with bicolene because it, it's shown that bicolene not only inhibits or, or does all these COVID actions and was patented for, for treating SARS and ha has furin cleavage site inhibition <laughs> properties and, and prionolytics, but it's it also inhibiting the entry of HIV probably via the CCR5, meaning run test. And that's what, what I can measure in my patient. We have a lab um, probability to just sign and show run test. And um, in HIV, run test is a very critical um, a cytokine. It's, it's cytokine co-receptor 5 um, that you need to, to have the fusion mechanism um, with, with the HIV. But if you bear in mind this totally new virus or not, yes, it's the first Zabeco virus, SARS-like virus with furin cleavage site. Yes, <laughs> that's new. And that's why the furin cleavage site is definitely interesting. And all these retroviruses do have that in a way as well. They are not pandemic level. So I think comparing the FCS, like, but if you have an aerosolized and person to person, yeah. and then have yeah. that one. Where it is, depending on where it is in the genome, obviously, because then like the, the, the part that what Pradhan picked it up at is that he, he found it in the gag protein. And I think P24, I don't remember the, the specifics, but and actually I just dropped into the chat like a, a picture of a, of a spreadsheet that I've been building or that basically just shows like the, the, all of the inserts that were highlighted by him or by Douglas and, uh, and Sorensen and Cesar. I don't know if all of you are familiar with that one, but they were, they were the one, they also kind of echoed but Montagnier and, and, and the Pratham papers were saying, but they. Charles, I know they, I, know they I asked you this, uh, this before, but, but I think, they, I think this they is, found similar inserts. I think this is an important point that probably we should go go back to and look at in more detail. Uh, the Dalgleish paper and, and that group, they sort of exploded onto the scene somewhat. And then where, where did they go? Have they Have they been told to shut up or what's what's going on there one of them did uh uh write a, a short book with dr quay and one other person so they're still trying to to get the word out but that's actually something that i've been pondering myself is because there's a lot of good scientists like simon wayne hobson who i briefly talked to um and I, I don't know why more of them aren't coming out and standing up and saying, hey, we know it, what's happening here. And they're not still pushing against. I don't know what. I don't know why. Well, that's again, it's 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 a near universal phenomenon because of I mean, there are more people speaking up right now. But it, like I said earlier on before you hopped in that it's the same people speaking up 
and I don't I don't see that dynamic changing much and it's happening in a context of again a lot of people with um, less than altruistic motives as we've seen with the accusations flying back between Rainer Fulmich and uh, was it Vivian the, the, the other lady right now in the last week so um, what what becomes limited opposition limited hangouts etc I, I don't know what I, what I do know is is that the sort of circle that I look at and say that person is producing consistent work is getting smaller not bigger which doesn't yeah. concord with the scientific processes well and the censorship what what's horrifying to me right now what I'm what I'm seeing is I look and and see what they're censoring. They're censoring research on long COVID. So this thing that there's, there's across the world, people are saying, hey, we need to look at this. We need to figure out what it is. In the United States, which controls 70% of the funding around the world, Fauci's funding basically nothing with long COVID. And I've seen multiple labs, I think Petrino Lab in New York, there's others, where they're saying they're trying they're speaking publicly. They're trying to get long COVID research funded, and the NIH will not do it. And to me, that that is the ultimate in in hor- horrifying because all of us know that the things that they're hiding are the things that are probably causing everything that we're seeing. And we don't know how bad it is, but we know it's pretty bad. I mean. <laughs> Well, Walter has scared the crap out of me multiple times <laughs> because he, he manages to come up with things that are even worse than I was thinking about. And well, and I, I'll just say I'll go back to my slot machine analogy. It drops through and it'll ding and bump you on the way down, but at the bottom, it's uh, it's it's all just uh, it's it's well, all... what, what I think. What I think, Charles, is that it's. It's all an, a, a, a systemic disease of injury, um, in particular, starting obviously with the microvascular endothelium. And my concern is why we're seeing so many people, especially young people, dropping dead is due to ventricular arrhythmias, where if the microvasculature of the brainstem and or of the heart is compromised, it will result in, a, in conduction problems and an instant ventricular death. And I'm concerned that, and now standard tests initially will not pick this up. You would never have, unless you specifically did very specific nuclear imaging tests during the trials of the vaccines, you would not have picked up this microvascular endothelial damage. You would not have found it. And of course, no one was looking for it. But my concern is that we are we are slowly, you know, there's a whole range of, as I, I refer to the spike protein as a, a Swiss, Swiss army knife of death. It has so many pathologies it can induce. But I think yeah. one of the most concerning ones is, is, is an overall injury, in particular, the microvasculature, and in particular, the brainstem and the heart. And I think that's why we're seeing these young people dropping dead because the conduction is either being messed up from the brain or from the heart or both. And this is why they're not oh, being able to be revived. They also notice that, that they, you should, you know, a young heart should be, you know, if there's some sort of arrhythmic right. problem, it should be able to be zapped and, 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 but it's not working because the pathways are destroyed again, either from the brainstem 
are from the heart or, or within the, the entire connection. And I think this is, again, this is why we're seeing the sleep disorders. This is why we're seeing all of these problems in long COVID and the muscle issues is, is the microvasculature is being, it's just like cancer cachexia. It's the exact same mechanism. And so maybe, and maybe, think... maybe we can formalize this a little better. Let's pick Matt's brain at this point, which is, well, that, that's all I wanted to say anyway, so thank uh, you for listening. Uh, yes, yeah, so, but it's important, and I, I have this question, Matt, if you, if you don't mind. If you, if you had to lay some odds on the epidemiology which we are seeing, Jessica, feel free to chime in as well. Jay, um, anyone, I guess I'm praying this out to the floor. But um, the fact that we're seeing more all-cause mortality right now that they would that they would define as non-covid related under their orthodox paradigm right that they they're expecting books what would it be if it was sars they would think odds or some some sort of acute effect maybe but um if you had to put an odds on seeing i don't know if you, if you can even do that but this increasing ratio of ad, not adverse events, excess death, and then the cross correlation you've got with mm. vaccine uptake. At, at what point do you say it's not correlation anymore? There is a causal element, and uh, what? And I guess as a secondary to that, what approach would you use to establish causality? Like a sort of I don't I don't know Granger or some some formalized way of doing that i always I always hate the discussion of causality because you know uh, as much as, as much as people like try to talk about you know causality and statistics there's no there's no rule for it for it it's always our judgment just like everything in science all our conclusions at the end there's no test that means causality right so we're, we're always making our best judgments so i want to start off that way um can i share a screen sure so, I think I think everyone um, just has uh, control of. Oh no, yeah, that's my end. Um, but you should be able to share now. So if you want, I, I actually um, just, I, I just I, want to say one thing um, that, that this is actually what I want. But like as an end state to be thinking about, I'm I'm now living in D.C. and I'm I'm trying to put together all these things in a way that I can take to people who are listening to me and explain all this stuff, kind of stuff. So really that's, so if, if you can think of things that like this, that, that was a great question, Kevin, because this is exactly what, like as a takeaway, this is what I'm trying to do is get bullets to put in the chamber. So carry on. Um, I, I, unfortunately, I, I feel at a, you know, too much of a deficit to comment much on the biology. Um, so I, I mostly focus on um, things that I can look for within data. And uh, I've, I've grown uh, toward a strong hypothesis that uh, in order to get to a point where the mass vaccination program could be begun, and I believe that it was known that it was going to kill people, a certain number of people. I believe that I have, uh, that I can put together uh, signs that mortality was engineered to create the appearance of a natural wave 
Wow. So I have begun to put this together from sources and I, I probably have a hundred slides that I could create, but I just started the slide deck. But, you know, for example, this is Greece and you can see, you know, the red dot is where the vaccination program began. Um, you know, with, with the exception of the children, you can see this sort of like pull pullback effect on mortality. It's like maybe all the people who were in hospitals who were just knowing they were going to die were just, you know, that was pulled, you know, that was done a little quicker. You know, um, it doesn't take much. Um, and that orange box, I mean, that's the span of a month, right? And then after after that was done, you see excess mortality begin in all the age groups. There wasn't any before, you know, they didn't really have, they didn't really have a pandemic until that moment that, you know, these green lines right here, that's the pull forward effect. You know, pull forward or pull back. Yeah, uh, pull, pull yeah that's uh, that, that's probably something that you should really dig into is uh, what uh, pull forward or pull back effect is. Anyone reading Ethical Skeptic is going to come up against yeah, that yeah. and be like, uh, what? Um, if you could give a sort of layman's um, description of what that means with respect to <laughs> data analysis. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I, I'm not sure what I think about the Ethical Skeptic's um, cancer argument yet because cancers were on an upward trend. And it, it is actually hard to look at, um, you know, when that sort of piles up later on, when you have diagnosis that's later, um, that, that's actually a little bit difficult to tease out. Uh, and and I, I, I don't think that he, is, he has fully shown that yet until he does the job that I think his opponents would want to do. And actually, um, uh, as much as I tangle with him, I think Jeffrey Morris did uh, a reasonable job of explaining that on his blog. Um, that's not to say that I'm not worried about cancer uh, in the DMED data. And, and, and wow, you know, they, they've done, somebody has done a masterful job of just paving over the thousand hours of work my team did with uh, the DMED data. But um, you know, uh, at the Senator Johnson hearing, you know, Ren said, oh, 300% increase in cancer. Um, well, that's, that's totally garbage, but I think that there are some increases. Uh, <laughs> um, unfortunately, um, they, um, we're just at the point at which we should be looking at the data again, because for 2021, there were so many conditions, there were so much piled into the R codes, which, which is the category of codes where, uh, the doctors don't know what's going on yet. And over a million of those R code reports since they were, you know, since even when I was having them run new queries in February and March, even since then, over a million reports have been um, channeled into these other categories. So in order to see what's going on, we actually have to look and see how many of those R codes got channeled to cancer or elsewhere. And those queries haven't been rerun yet. Um, so uh, that, that whole thing is a mess. But I do think that that there is a, you know, it, there's a, a modest and, and, you know, maybe slightly alarming increase in neoplasms. Um, but I really think that, that most of what, most of what we can see for sure are things that, that um, point to like the endothelial damage. Uh, you know, we see the the pulmonary embolisms and we see, um, we see the pandemic shift between being, uh, you know, respiratory and, and cardiological uh, if I'm, if I'm using those, <laughs> using the right word there, um, it, it, it's cardiovascular, cardiovascular, for sure. more, yeah, cardiovascular thank you. Um, yeah. So anyhow, uh, that, those are the things like I, I try to put together a big picture in order to, um, make my own judgments about causality or, or to figure out where do you want to look for evidence? You know, um, where do you want to FOIA? Where do you want to, you know, point 
other perhaps internet researchers and say like, you know, this free stuff, this is just stuff that I figured out in the last couple of days or that I noticed in the last couple of days. Um, you know, maybe, maybe somebody from Greece will have some interesting insights as to what's going on here. Um, maybe if I put together, you know, 30 of these, um, there will be people who will come forward with additional evidence. Um, I think that, that it may be that the nurses wind up being the heroes, um, because they are as involved as the doctors with, you know, or, or maybe more involved than the doctors handling all the patients. And, um, and, uh, a lot of them are, are the ones who can see what's going on and may have the best information. So, so, so you, you make a book, cause I think that's important. And I'm, I'm trying to make a note of this right now on the small amount of real estate I have on my desk, but, um, getting foyers, I think a lot, a lot of what we have to do, um, we have to have uh, strategic planning in how we use what are essentially finite resources right now. Yes. And um, foyering has been one of the best weapons, I think, that's out there. And again, I, I always consider U.S. right to know unsung heroes in a lot of uh, these discussions. They've really done a lot of well, a lot of backbreaking work, I would say. And again, I, I'm I'm not in the US. I don't know how those procedures work. But those that are, um, if you're listening in the audience, um, please um, listen listen to these solutions. The public can get involved in these. And um, so, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but um, I, I just wanted to hammer that point home somewhat as I'm scribbling it yeah. down. I just had I just had one very, very short thing to say. I, I really I humbly apologize, but I had no idea. I had set aside two and a half hours. It's five o'clock here. Um I have guests arriving. I I humbly yeah. apologize. I had no idea this was going to go for more than I assumed it would go for two hours tops and we're at two and a half hours now. And I, I simply have people coming over to my home this no, evening. No worries, and I unfortunately must leave. Um no, you don't have to apologize. Yeah. No. What's that? I'm just no, no need to apologize, video. Walter. No, no, none whatsoever. Well, uh, will, will this be archived so I can watch the rest of Matthew's talks and what others have to say? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, well, if, if, we don't, if we don't get struck all. down left, right, and center, which is I my probability. Are, 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 are we live? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, I didn't I know we were that. live. Okay. Well, <laughs> I apologize to the audience then as well. I'm so sorry, but um, I I I must depart, and I wish it has been fascinating, and you're all wonderful, and I thank you all for your work. It's every one of you have made amazing contributions, and um, I will catch the rest of this on on uh, YouTube or wherever it's posted. So, uh, thank you all. Have a wonderful evening. Bye, thank Walter. You. Thank you, Walter. Oh. Bye, Walter. I'll email you and tell Please you. Please do. Where yeah, I have a good one. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you. Enjoy your time. Uh, so actually, we're as Walter steps out, we can keep up the pace. Nick, Nick St. James, steps oh, in. I, I just wanted to apologize real quick. I had no idea that, that we were like recording live. I thought this was more of a, a casual meeting, so I, I wasn't treating it the same way or, or preparing to, to show anything else. Right, be natural. His, 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 uh, he, he has, runs a laid back program. So, you know, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> <So. clears throat> Chill, dude.
Uh, Nick, welcome. Thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it. I, I'd like to apologize because I have house guests and I hadn't checked my email for 24 hours. So I just... Uh, I'm well, in that case, in. you're out. Oh, if, you didn't, okay. if you didn't check freehand, that's it. You're <laughs> so, uh, Matt, you were you were starting to really get into it and uh, this formalization aspect. I want to uh, sort of dig into that somewhat. In the what aspect? The formalization for this... Um, looking for causality because like i say we've got a the bizarre situation of all cause mortality is increased we know it's increased that's that's one of the statistics right now that i think they have a job to really mess with i don't know how long that's going to last um <clears throat> if this winter is complete carnage mm -hmm. i would expect I expect the unexpected but I, I think to try to formalize in people's minds what they the, some of the pitfalls that come with trying to establish causality especially from a mathematical perspective and just what data do, do we have well i mean you know if we just look at the the deaths you know if you cut off the you cut off the dates and ask people to point to the beginning of the the vaccination program most people just couldn't but you know it's it's give or take right around here right but but this is the global pandemic and and you know it, it mostly looks like a straight line until until you get to uh just the last few months um i i think that the the number of people who are close enough to death just you know it's just changed since then and one of the things that I, i've looked at a little bit in the um in the U.S. data, the county-level data. And I think this is an argument that will resonate with people when they start to realize that we've been lied to and they start to look for, you know, what is the realistic evidence? What is the corroborating evidence? Um, when you, you know, lay out by county vaccination rates and correlate them to COVID-19 deaths, okay, sure, you get, you get a slightly negative correlation on average, which suggests that there is some vaccine efficacy. But, oh, look, if, if you look at the, the solid purple line, that tracks all of that apparent vaccine efficacy. In other words, what you're doing is talking about people with education, which means you're talking about people with wealth, and wealth is health, right? What is it that people buy after the basic essentials? They buy the things that make them more relaxed and, and, uh, and, and save their time. Um, they're not working themselves to death perhaps as much. Um, but, yeah, wealth is health. And all, all we're looking at is a wealth bias, period. There is zero vaccine wow. efficacy. In, in, my, in, my strong, in my strong opinion, every time, I, every time I see any data at all that I trust, I, I ask the question, you know, is this, is this consistent with zero vaccine efficacy? And, and we know from looking at the flu data from historical years, uh, the flu, flu just kept on chugging along, kept on chugging along, despite the fact the vaccination over the years just went up and up and up and up and up. Um, you know, people are people are going to see more. I'm going to collect as much as I can in one place and um, and tell the story as I go a little bit more. But uh, you know, and and I had no idea of any of this before the pandemic started. I knew almost nothing about you know vaccine controversy or or anything like that. But um, I I, I think uh, even just with what I have, this slideshow is going to be you know very long as I put it together, and then I'm probably going to get new evidence from people. People have already started emailing me, hey, check out this paper, check out this data set. So and I, I don't have too that, much that, to You said to that was yet. county level. Um, yeah. 
uh, which counties? How uh, all of them or all USK? Yeah, over three thousand US counties. Thirty-one. Could something. you pass that data even more that we could see the? I mean, is there a presumption that the if it if it's a wealth issue that there's a divide north south that you could see um, or? Yeah, I have to um, pull up uh, the right spreadsheets um, because we have we've chopped this up in so many different ways. I just, I have one that's open and I, I don't even remember what's in it, but um, here's one, uh, latitudinal analysis. Mm. Um, yeah. You can see that uh, going into that that winter wave right before vaccine rollout, um, oops, I'm not interested. Control Z, sir, it's your friend. I tried, control Z, <laughs> didn't work. Um, I screwed. Yeah, cat killed me here. Um, well, that was it. <laughs> actually, actually, no. I'll, I'll share one more, um, one more uh, quick story here. Um, one of the analyses that I did last year that convinced me that there was more vaccine mortality. Steve, Steve Kirsch and I were debating. Like, it, you know, he was like, oh, "I think there are fifty thousand vaccine deaths." Now he thinks there are five hundred in the U.S. Five hundred thousand. I was like, "I don't know." You know, I see the bears numbers. You know, maybe maybe it's five x. Maybe there are twenty five thousand deaths. And I was looking for some way to come up with a real answer. And, uh, and I noticed that in the European data that, you know, upon vaccine rollout, and that's right there, you, you can see this one is normalization of case fatality rate. And I did case fatality rate with, to the, you know, seven-day rolling average mortality divided by seven-day rolling average cases, except the cases are lagged by 18 days. So the first 18 days of vaccine rollout, which goes right there, your denominator is not affected by any change in trend um, that you know that the variable would cause, right? Your your death should be moving with your cases as sort of a trend, right? Unless you have a new a newly introduced variable and and case fatality rates skyrockets across Europe. Interestingly, there are a couple of nations where it doesn't. Nations like France, of course, France built the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They've had as much advanced notice of anything that was coming as anybody, right? But th there are only a few counterexamples. Um, but you know, over and if you take those counterexamples out, this this curve is even sharper, right? And Somebody, somebody asked me, "Well, does this happen all over the world?" And of course, it, like there are a lot of places where you're just not going to see much. Like Africa just never really had much of a pandemic, huh? Right? But but people asked about the U.S. and um, and last year I never finished the U.S. analysis because I was flooded out of my home and was sort of homeless for for three weeks finding a new home. Um, but I, I I did just recently. I went back and I looked at that, and it is true that you don't see the same thing at, at day zero. You see case fatality rates start to go down before it comes back up three weeks later. Hmm. So, you know, what's going on there? Um, you know, well, it, it, going from your previous graph, though, I mean, you, you, there was a sort of you'd reach the peak, right? So you're expecting some drop off as the pathogen burns through hmm. a population. And it's is that... that that's not it that's not it. You're, you're getting too complicated um I, i'm gonna pull over a graph right now and you're gonna see it so look at look at this dip look at the shape of this dip right here mm. okay here's your your testing data for the united yeah, states okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> and 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 let's be clear wow. this is the winter holiday Wow. There should be an increase in tests of travelers right and those aren't people who are going to die mm. what decreased 
what decreased in the testing regime during that period of time? I bet it's people dying in hospitals and nursing homes. And I, I don't know how I can find that out. It, it's a speculative hypothesis, but at this point, I think it's a little stronger than speculation given the, you know, the totality of evidence and the fact that I was seeing these, these curves in other countries, specifically other countries that had bad pandemics. Uh, it, it depends on what, okay, normalized case days since vaccination. Okay. Right, right. I, I made day zero the start of the vaccine campaign so that I could normalize all the countries in Europe because some of them started a little bit later than others, right? I wanted to know, you know, what happens from day zero for the first few weeks. But that mm. is interesting because that, in Europe, that's what I would expect. So may I ask, when you normalize that, then you can't really say, you, you know, we had this British variant um, running, starting um, around the time of the vaccine uh, um, um, rollout. And I was doing COVID shifts at that time. So um, I realized that the cases went up um, and actually the sick patients uh, started to ramp up as well in no November 2020 prior to the vaccine rollout. And I was in contact with uh, Jean-Claude Perez. So um, he did he did work and published with Montagnier and he's a mathematician, a mathematician and he analyzes the global structure of, of the virus with his Fibonacci standing waves organization. And um, I remember we were discussing at that time that the new variant surface spike like Fibonacci profile looks very similar to um, the BNT162B2 from BioNTech and was like similar to something that was coming from Nigeria. So um, in my like forensic way of looking at the genome and all these different investigations, um, I think we need to count in these variants of concern when we have like vaccine trials starting prior to it. And then, like maybe that starting running through the population fr from shedding or something, or, or even it, it's like a live vaccine or dimming down the immune system. What we all find found out, but that I realized um, there was something happening, and then it, it was kind of um, maybe it's not the same that happened in the U.S. And I don't know which which measures you had around that time and on holidays because I think it was post election time and prior to um, all that. Maybe that's a factor that's coming in there in the in these data. Well, this is something that Jonathan's actually done a good job of. I, I mean, are you, t are you talking about vaccine driven uh, emergence of variants of concern? And I don't know if Jonathan's listening or not, but he's he actually had some good plots a while back in his deck where um, everywhere that well, if, 
I might be misremembering, but and uh, my own biases on this, but I was pretty Dave sure. Clark came from Jessica. Uh, it's Jessica, Jessica, jump in! Come on. I believe that. I believe those were her plots. Oh, was, okay. Um, so that's Jessica, I'm talking about. What, what did I do? Um, <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm, I'm trying to. I, I remember. I, I was, I was sure it was Jonathan who was showed these plots. Maybe, maybe he grabbed them from you. But um, it seemed to me that Joanna was talking about. She could see the impact in the hospitals and a concern around vaccine-driven variants of concern. And if you've got data that can sort of that indicates that that's something that is a mechanism here, I, I think that would be a useful thing to throw up on on the screen. Yeah, no, I think it was probably Jonathan. I uh, I've talked about that, but I don't really have any. Um, uh, any I don't know parts. whose preprint it was. It was somebody's preprint, and that actually has never been published. But they correlated. All the places where the vaccine trials were done, Brazil, South Africa, yada, yada, yada. And they had all the different vaccines there. And there was a variant of concern in every one of those locations. Um, right. And then that was kind of more or less confirmed with the with the stuff that, that Trevor Bedford presented in September where yeah, all the- I, I, I collected all, um, all the locations in an article. Um, it, you know, it's not a published scientific article, but I had done that, um, you know, sort of mid late last year. Um, I, there's something else that's really interesting about the, the sort of variance of concern emergence data that I noticed, um, which is that, that there are literally papers being published about it where the title is the exact opposite of what the data says, like literally the exact opposite. And, and I like, it, it's, it's so bizarre and shocking that I think people like, they, they just, they have to see this in order to understand, in order to believe it and to know like how, you know, stupid some of their leaders are. Like this is a paper that was, um, that was emailed, that, that was uh, tweeted out by Eric Topol. Let me see if it, if this tweet, if I included that here. So, so Eric Topol tweets this out, debunking the myth that vaccination promotes mutations, being fully vaccinated actually suppresses them. Oh dear. And, and then oh when you go and you actually open the paper, um, so here it is. It, it was a preprint at the time. I don't know if it's, if it's published since. Um, but but when you look at the actual data in the paper, you know, they're saying, okay, when you have more fully vaccinated, um, this is mutation frequency. And what is it that you see? Nice work there, dude. I'm putting it in right now. Yeah, this this is, um, this is a bottleneck. <laughs> This isn't. This is mutation frequency. It's not the same thing as mutation rate. Right. Mm. Right. You, you, your rate hasn't necessarily changed. What you have is a bottleneck. And and even here, when they they do, uh, um, they they use this statistic called Tajima's D. And and they have, and they have um, the UK and India where these where you had trials going on. Um, you have them going below the threshold at which you would have like a variant breakout. No, I checked it already before I sent it that it had that figure in it. Don't worry, mosquito. Thank you very much. That was that was that was clutch. Oh, am I? I'm, I'm sorry. I thought I was muted. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to relate what Jonathan said to what I'm talking about. No, one of my viewers sent me one of the one of the paper that I was just sending, so I put it in the chat, and I wanted to thank him. My bad, I'm mute again. 
<laughs> I want to see the uh, mosquito finger chart. Can yeah. you please, please see that data? <laughs> uh, now, I'm bringing so, it up on the. So, one thing I want to throw out is that all of this is connected. Why? Because where are 80% of those mutations happening in the spike protein? In the six or eight inserts that different people have. So, so the HIV homologous areas of the spike protein, the ones that which aren't natural, are where the vast majority of these mutations are taking place. So once again, they knew. Yeah. They know what's driving these things, and they're hiding it. So, so it, 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 it brings me to a very um, critical point, which is, well, I, I think it's critical, which is, as you said, we, we, we have enough data, we have enough articles, and we have enough in theory to engage in the dialectic with them um, right now. What I think is missing is the reproducible animal model of the adverse event envelope around these whatever I'm trying to be selective in my language here just the smidgen of chance that we stir up on YouTube and um, I, I'm dis, I'm dismayed we had a discussion Charles just I, I can't remember if it was sort of pre the official start of this meeting but again we were talking about how Rainer Fulmich etc they've got they had six hundred thousand dollars floating around for what doing talks on rumble and I said that $600,000 literally would fund everyone on this chat to do experiments, right? You're not going to be on fantastic. You're going to be on postdoc salaries. But that's, look, I spent my life on postdoc salaries getting science out. And you know what? Um, my conscience is pretty clear. In, in what I've done, and it's clear enough that, I, and I'm, I'm confident enough to go into this next step, where I, I, one of these steps that we're doing is to be encouraging the experiments be done again by people. You can, yeah, you have to avoid people that are open to being leveraged through fear of losing funding or their their lab space being taken away, and and I'm. I'm literally in a position to be able to do all these experiments right now, s starting tomorrow. It's just having the the. If I had six hundred thousand dollars to hand, <clears throat> oh my god, I'd, I'd have it. <laughs> First of all, you'd all be on planes over here. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's a given, and we can, we can spend three months in a lab all working and looking at what comes out of that data, <clears throat> and. It's amazing that there isn't somebody um, with big like th that. There's not like one billionaire who mm -hmm. is eyes wide open as to what's going on. Um, I have a friend who who's currently working with a, a couple of billionaires, and and we were talking about things, and he, and and they are they're anti vaccination. You know, I, I'm not going to give any names here because you know I'm sure that they don't talk out loud too much because of all the politics, right? But they are, but you know, whatever for whatever reason, they came to the conclusion that that the vaccines were really bad news, and uh, and they even fly in and out of the country where they live in um, in a way that that doesn't, you know, that, that they don't get checked or anything like that, right? Um, but but it would be mandated to to fly in there. 
Um, <clears throat> I, you know, I, I think that the, that the only reason that there isn't somebody who just, you know, throws out funding for the people who have done the most work is that the, the moment that they do, they are the first, the, they're the first sort of, I don't know, opponent in the political war. And even the people who are like, there are a lot of people who are nominally on our side who seem to be interested in playing the partisan card, playing the partisan board game, as opposed to the let's solve the whole problem yeah, game. Just get and, this and, data. And, <clears throat> well, yeah, I mean, like, it, I, I, I believe that there, that there are people that aren't talking to me as much right now, like about the, the DMED data, for instance, simply because there is election strategy surrounding it. Wow. Um, and, and so, and now you have, you have two sides, you know, that, that soaks up so many people, right. Soaks up so many people who aren't, who wouldn't be interested in hearing the, uh, you know, having the truth, the full truth heard, um, or, or funding it or something like that. And they have, they have no idea how much damage they cause just by becoming a social I'm, group. I'm, like I'm, I'm literally wincing in pain at your words, Matt. Um, that that's so that's so incorrigible that you would you would strategize in such a fashion when there's hey you could open the door on the whatever on the i don't say left or right but the above you you could open the door above you and lift yourself above all this and have the data and settle a whole bunch of maybe they don't want to settle it maybe maybe that's the yeah, I've sort of wondered. I've sort of wondered. You know, there, there is a there's an undercurrent of discussion of you know let's let's um you know win the next election, get in and flip the script, you know. And, I, and I'm just like, wow, you know, you, you don't you don't see. I mean, it, <clears throat> and anybody who might think that way, who might join such a team, might themselves. I mean, you you would need to vet that person down to knowing their thoughts, you know, because those are the people you could have three people. Um, completely sabotage that process, right? I, I just, you know, the the, the people. I, I think, and, and I'll, I'll tell you this about my statistics about my um, my viewers. I was sort of, you know, I always every few weeks I get curious, and I'm like, you know, who are the twenty two thousand people who are reading my Substack? I mean, I knew when there were eight hundred, I could see the names come in. I could even Google them and know, hey, this is a scientist, this is a doctor, this is, you know, um, I, I knew who they were. <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't bother doing that now. Um, but I, I looked at the, the you know, we started uh, doing um, YouTube stuff the other day. I could see the viewers. They're all like, you know, 40 to, you know, 40 up. There's almost nobody who's young. They are too, I think, financially levered or, too, or, or also simultaneously too brainwashed. They haven't had like a moment of challenge if they accepted you know, the golden path, um, you know, they're, they're working for big tech. They're working for, um, you know, who knows how many of them are working for defense contractors, but, you know, lots of smart people just sort of sucked up into this pool of people who, I mean, if those people decided to organize just a little bit, even if they did it, you know, even if they did it anonymously, they could end it. They could end all of the, the, the pain and, and, um, wherever it is that this is intended to go. Yes, but that's the same problem. This is, this is why on several different shows and with several different people, what have I talked about? I've said leadership. There's none. And that's the big problem with the sciences. Hmm. But one of the reasons I have such respect for everyone here right now 
is because all of you were the ones who were going out and finding all of this stuff, pretty much without getting paid for the most part. And you all did it. You all sacrificed to do it. And there, there's so many people who have sacrificed nothing that could sacrifice plenty. And to me, that's is one of the things that's most depressing. But at the same time, it's one of the reasons why we have, like, that's what keeps me motivated to keep going. Because somebody has to do it. And look, what each of you has done has taken effort and has cost you things that it didn't have to cost you. But you, it cost you something because you had to do it alone. And I, I don't know, I, I know what the problem is and I know how to fix it, but I just need the evidence <laughs> to fix the problem. Well, we, to, we have that. We have that evidence. Because we, we, you're right. We're going to have to clear house. Yeah. Once I, this is over. I, I, I think a lot of people do know that there is something like very large about this moment. And what scares them is um, they don't know if the power is going to go out. They don't know if the supply lines are going to stop and they don't know what it means if that happens. Right. And they've allowed themselves to have their life um, it, it pulled far enough from the source of local production. You know, it, it, think about who all these, you know, 20 something year old, um, you know, the, the generation Y um, tech people or something like that. How many of them know where the food comes from or the clothing comes from or this, that, or the other, or what they would do if, if the, you know, a, a switch flipped and suddenly the entire graph of economic exchange shifted. These are all people who, who you know, when they were young. They didn't even, um, they didn't necessarily even form strong roots in a community because they, they were being raised from the beginning to go off to college, to some impressive university where they would make an entirely new set of friends. So I, and, and I've seen this, you know, having, having left wall street to build schools, right. That's what I did. And, and I, I could, I could see this, you know, I could see the, the, um, the parents steering that process and the children having no idea what they were missing. You know, a lot of them would have very few friends or their friend group would be the exact people who were going to, you know, break up and, and go to Harvard, Princeton, Stanford, MIT, you know. So again, you know, I've, I've tried to, in a number of discussions I've been having offline in the last few weeks, because, you know, I've, I've had a couple of people sort of step up and say, Oh, you, here's a little bit of help you can go and which I which I have done right so I've I've pulled the trigger on you know I tried to get the ideal primate study and hope that there would be enough interest in it and oh yeah they'll 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 let me do it but it's two million dollars right <laughs> um well okay uh it's not out of the ballpark of what it would normally cost you but you know there was no there was no colleague or friend discount in, in well a little bit but not not that much and again most of most of that cost was just the automatic money that the institute takes once you say that we're affiliated with whatever institute i don't want to um, name names but um i'm in a situation where i can i can get monkeys if i want my my approach right now is because I don't have the institution 
around me is that I have to tread very carefully in this environment, which means I have to, I, I want to do rodents. So this is actionable in in the current environment where I can get it. And you know, this some of this work has been done. Um, I don't know, Jay, if you have that paper to hand, that rodent paper. Yes, Joanne. If you wanna... Which paper do you mean? Uh, so that, but they did intramuscular and IV, and you can see all the. Oh, I can I can look for it. I know which one you mean. Yeah, please. Um, the problem is, is that they see the inflammation, um, but they're not looking deeper. And I think we can stop all this if we can say that there's a known amyloidogenic risk inherent in in these technologies, not just the virus, but the the interventions. Yes. Uh, sorry, Joanna. Um. And just just as a side note, because I discussed with a veterinarian um, um, the, the risk that we are expecting um, with the vaccines in, I think, February 2021. And um, she sent me two links to animal models of um, for ADE. And she yeah. said it's very, very crucial to, to not do monkey studies for seeing ADE. Um, I, your focus was on prions, I know. But um, maybe that's when, when you want to go at rodents, <laughs> maybe you, you'll have a look at these uh, opportunities to have these studies because it, it's it's companies that offer mm. uh, uh, ADE checking for, for COVID, basically. Yep. So I can see you the link, and um, I think it's it's very crucial to go there because we have had these animal testings, parts, and and like Professor Hockert, who worked at my alma mater, and um, now left Germany because of his uh, the attacks from the outside. He said. He was in contact with someone from the island Reims, and they did vaccine animal trials, but all the ferrets died, mm. and they didn't publish it. And that's against the rules uh, when, when you do scientific studies and you, you come through the ethic committee, then you're committed to publish even if your you're results are... You're supposed to. Yeah, you're supposed to, but they are... Um, they have increased the control mechanisms, but you know, Germany is not adhering to it, obviously. Mm. And uh, uh, this, I would just try and ha hammer home is that most drugs, in fact, any drug, has what's called an LD50 threshold determined <laughs> for it. Any drug, including all previous um, vaccines. And, and all that we don't have it nothing no, nothing and this is this is an astonishing state to find ourselves in this is this is the direction in which we need to put resources in, in like I, say, I, i don't know if other people maybe maybe public messaging is is another you know important one to do but um again i think this if if you can We've got, all, like I say, Charles says we've got this evidence, body of evidence that is, has been meticulously set out. And then if you take that and then put it with this experimental data, and, you know, I can, and if you scroll through this paper, 
Is this the mouse one? Is this the mouse one? No, that's a new one. That's one from the Laboratory Animal Society. It's a really good one because they've noticed this in a lot of different administration of substances where if you misadminister it, you get mm. these these general results. It's another paper to throw on. I'm still looking for the other one, but this oh, okay. is a really good one that you might not have seen. I haven't seen this one, but uh, th uh, thank you for the link. Um, the... Um, it, it's it's precisely this because we this and, and this is something that Matt talked about a lot, which is this idea of um, that there are constant unknowns and failures in the system, and there's a presumption made by the other side that there's there's a hundred percent safe and effective delivery. Well, we know that that's not the case. It's fear. It's theoretically impossible. For that to be the case, and so we have to we have to understand that. And I, I I would make the argument. I don't. I'm still undecided whether it's a combination of exposure to the technology plus pathogen. That might be the critical factor here, and something to do with the timing of when the of when it converges on each other. It could be a binary weapon. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, it's just, it's just if they get the timing, you know, uh, they hit a sweet spot. And, you know, right now, you'd have to work very hard to convince me they don't know when that sweet spot is. And, you know, I, I, I chime in because we are running with that Omicron right now. And the difference in Omicron to the Wuhan variant that we see. I think we're running into a situation like we have with dengue. <laughs> and dengue is a vascular disease as well. So what we were seeing and what, where I was like following up the pathology conference very, very intense. You know, you all knows, know that I'm working on figuring out bioweapons for a long while now. And yes, of course, the hemorrhagic fevers are the, are the germs that I'm of most concern and respiratory disease with that case fatality rate. Is like, like, you know, it's like... It's not the worst thing that's out there. And, but hemorrhagic fevers like <laughs> Ebola and, and dengue, and dengue is in the first place a respiratory disease, but only when you have the second contact with a slightly different surface and variant. Then you can have these severe courses, and these severe courses are not like in the movies where you have this instant bleeding sign, but you can have blisters on your skins and, and or internal uh, diseases like, like all the clotting issues. That's a typical sign of vascular inflammation like, like water said. That's a typical sign of a of a precondition for a severe ADE vascular reaction like in dengue. ADE is different because it's not always vascular, but 
COVID carries the receptor binding domain for ACE2 receptor. And that one is endothelial. You know, we use it as medical doctors at blood, as blood pressure lowering target. So it's in the endothelials and in the capillary where you have the highest resistance. So if they contract and, and you interfere with them medic medically, then they relax and you lower the blood pressure. So pretty simple, but that's where your attack mode of that ACE2 binding receptor domain is. But also you have these other um, target tissues. And from that, you can kind of have a perspective on the whole um, issue not like like Walter said but um, the problem with ADE is that you have these binding antibodies and not neutralizing on the receptor binding domain and the binding ones are usually against bigger germs like bacteria where they clot all these things together so that the macrophages can take these up so it's not neutralizing as such, but um, other immune cells are looking for these binding antibodies that, and taking them in into themselves um, via the FC receptor, yeah. the antibody site to connect with. But if you have that with a virus and that's taking up into an immune cell, recognizing the FC um, um, receptor from that antibody, like this, this Y shape of, of the um, antibody, these are the flexible um, um, epitopes that, that are mutating and, and searching for surfaces. And the one down here is for recognizing by immune cells and if you have invasion of these immune cells and they are attracting even more immune cells and they get infected, it's like your police or your um, your, your military get in, gets infiltrated because all these immune cells will produce cytokines and virus and release cytokines and then trigger the the the, the cyto um, um, the attraction. Like cyto cytokines are used for um, attracting other immune cells to get rid of the infection, so you get a, like a vicious cycle um, in the immune breakdown and the spreading of the virus. So you have more virus, and with the vaccine injuries, you, you at least have the spikes. And we have seen ruptured vessels in these vaccine death. We have seen ruptured aortic vessels, intra-abdominal bleeding and, and thrombosis. You know, the xenos venous thrombosis that we saw, that's a typical sign for disseminated intravascular dis um, coagulation when you have a xenos um, sinus thrombosis and a portal vein thrombosis at the same time. That's that's a no go. I've worked in liver surgery, and we had one in that two years, one liver um, um, or two um, um, thrombosis of, of these livers. It's, it's, well, here's, it's, here's another yeah. little just anecdote for um, I, I say adverse events. It's not just adverse events; it's consequence of infection. And I was just. I was saying to Karmadoc in our community, I said, in, in my experience, clinical neuroscience experience, I'd seen one 
spontaneous case of Bell's palsy. And I just, I said, I asked, I said, well, what's, what have you seen in the, uh, essentially the last year? And she was like, she said the same. In 20 years, I'd seen one. She said in the last year, three. And the, so I asked, you know, what, and, you know, it was split. I can't remember the exact ratio for, um, but, you know, it's, it's a property of this virus. I, again, I'd consider Bell's palsy uh, immunogenic type um, disorder response to, well, as I say, there's many, many, many triggers. But um, these are, um, these are events that they're, these are disorders that they're quick to pile onto the virus itself. But this reluctance to look at the mirror image of it, especially when you've gone down this drastic approach of doing this gene transfection type technology. Um, <clears throat> again, it's unprecedented in what they're doing. Um, Charles is right in raising the point. Why are they still using the uh, the exact copy of the 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 Wuhan strain in in shots that are coming out for the for this winter season again all, all of this doesn't look good it comes off as, as it's extinct we still have mandates we still have mandates actually I, I for me we are still frontline cannon fodder for that biphasical biowarfare that i learned when i was 22 about the tactics but it is it is basically the mandates for the primary cares and they have they have to show the third shot to um, to the date of october right now that is the opposite and that's off label it's it's off label it wasn't in the ethics committee for the whole trials it's it's fudged in somehow in the us but not in not in in Europe. you could go to the nato publications the NATO Seaburn publications, and what they would say in there <laughs> is that you never do anything with 100% of your force at any time. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it's aspirin. You don't put that medical countermeasure in, in everybody at the same time because, God forbid, something bad happened. It's like antithetical to strategic planning that you would universally vaccinate a population a military unit, like any group, it, it, it's, it's literally in their publications. Like, that's not what NATO does, except in this case, they've done backwards. And uh, it's funny because I had just pulled up Meryl Nass's uh, thing. I, she wrote it last week, but it was a paper that she wrote about the bivalent vaccine, like why. And it, this is something I found interesting, just a paragraph. The reason why the Omicron vaccines won't stimulate a good Omicron response is attributed by the NIAID, DRC, to antigenic priming, also known as original antigenic sin. This means that the immune system has been programmed, by, you guys know, over, respond over and over again to the first coronavirus infection, even when it encounters different coronavirus antigens later. I, I was saying that for them, but but they said that's what this was doing and they're still yeah. doing the original wuhan strain is extinct in the wild Correct. um they are uh they, they still keep pushing 
the um, the vaccines that have, uh, I mean, supposedly the um, mRNA that encodes the original Wuhan strain spike, and that is going to going to continue priming people um, for ADE in the future. That, um, I mean, that, NIH, NIH is telling us that directly themselves, and they're still doing it. Yep. And so, again, my – in a Bayesian analysis, you can't – the weighting that you're giving to malfeasance increases – this is the, this is the problem I find myself in. If I'm if I'm going to stick to the yeah. rules of logical analysis, inductive reasoning, and um, it, it keeps tilting in that direction, and and it's the me personally, it's the last thing I want because in effect I feel essentially powerless because I'm I'm I don't have yeah. a lab, my lab in which I could run out those experiments that I want to. I've got to scratch around to. Um, to look to get ear bars for rodents you know i put that purchase order in today they're on the way stereotactic frame is on the way but um <laughs> why am i having to do this why isn't what why aren't the people who did this study that's on the other half of the screen continuing right. to do their work how come they've shut up because if i found a response like that well, I, I'd, I'd be exploring it even further. Where's the brain of that animal or of the animals in here? Where's the, where's the, where's the staining that's been done? And again, you have to, you have to ask yourself how, how. Well, you know, is it going to get on the archive printers? They do filter it. They do. Um, it's not just a free for all. So again, you have to wonder how, how. How strong and all pervasive this filtering is, and and the problem is we know that it's people like Christian Anderson sitting there. Anything SARS related will flow across his desk, and the likes of um, well, I'll not call her what I normally call her, but uh, Rasmussen and um, a, a whole host of other nerdy worlds that right now we know, we know have conflicts of interest that under any normal circumstances I, I would have said would have finished a career. But that's, that's not what we're seeing. So he has to go finished. Because he's just... It, the, he has the intelligence community behind him that can... which has been merging with Silicon Valley for a decade or more. Actually, more longer than that. Mm. Well, you, you could say Silicon Valley is the intelligence <laughs> gang from the... Uh... Yeah, and so... <laughs> And that's, I mean, I, I like, I know that people have different opinions on like what it is and what it what it could be, and the truth of the matter is, from a, I like to think that the only real thing value that I can provide is that I've, I, am used to looking at things from a strategic, like operational perspective, which isn't really something that scientists deal with in the same way. And so, well, you, mean, you, you, well, you're, you're charged with looking after and, and getting through intact and your unit intact, right? Uh, on no, the other side, you've just got spurgs. You've just got spurgs that are just sitting there doing their lab time and uh, trying if to get publications. Want, if they want to say, because it's not natural, we, we know that. 
But if they want this to be a vaccine and not, not a vaccine, then they need to start showing evidence of something. Because of, of, of every piece, every piece says that they knew what they were doing when they left all this stuff in there, and they're watching us die, feeding us more of the same, and censoring. Like I, I, I don't, I don't, I can't look at it any other way. As this is, someone is doing this, and even if it was China that, like, it, it was accidentally released or whatever, whatever happened to that virus, Fauci saw the virus. And by January 13th, he knew what it was. And he didn't tell anybody that the FCS was in there. He kept the FCS in the vaccine. And now they're still doing it two and a half years later. So that's a crime against humanity because he knows what it's doing because his own VRC, his own scientists discovered all the research or were working with China or Germany or all these places. They know exactly what the dangerous implications are. And the best case scenario is that this is an experiment. But I don't even think that's possible. I really don't. And it terrifies me. Because I would, I'm like you. I don't want this to be... <laughs> I don't want this to be intentional. I really don't. Mm -hmm. but, I, but I need to start seeing evidence of something. Yep. Uh, well, let's let's uh, do some practice, something practical, please, Nick. What people can do instead of just swallow our black pills. Um, investigations. This was for this was for Matthew as far as data, but it it marked the turning for those of you that I, I've I've spoken with. Most of you, um, I think Spartacus, we haven't met, uh, but my my area of specialty, uh, as far as research and the voice that I bring to this conversation is about um, a parallel event that occurred in the hepatitis B era, uh, meaning the you know multi decade fight against Hep B the use of chimpanzees uh, closely in uh, health and science, and then the intersection of a lot of zoonotic primate pathogens that now continue to affect public health. And out of that, it appears that one of the branches uh, took a left turn and uh, came to the close attention of defense and intelligence agencies who were very interested in slow pathogens in the lentivirus family, among others, uh, things that could be surreptitiously administered to uh, uh, either aerosolized or an, a number of different vectors and then slowly kill or uh, incapacitate a population or a target individual. Um, a, an interesting piece of this from the 60s to about the 90s would be to look at the pattern of South American presidents and deaths and their specific pathologies and the cancers that they died in. You'll see some interesting correlations there. And this leads to a fountainhead of events in the 70s that I believe was the um, introduction of HIV, a deliberate bioweapon into the population. What we're looking at now, speaking of black pills, is really something that I wanted to to share with Matthew, I know he had to drop, but this was about a turning point where they stopped communicating about their losses to follow up. This was about a 1975 cohort of gay men in New York City who volunteered for Heptavax B. And at the conclusion of the surveillance window, two years later, so by 77, 50% of the cohort didn't pick up their phone or didn't have a phone anymore. They were gone. They couldn't be located. 
And this would, to me, show the intent, the long, slow intent of um, an HIV sort of pre-launch. This was followed by the national campaign that went from 78 to 81. And in most of the world's consciousness, AIDS began in 1981 because of an article published in the MMWR. But in actuality, men were dying in New York uh, since 75, and then really spiked in 78, 79 after three doses of Heptavax B. So, Kevin, coming back to your question, and everybody, thank you very much for, uh, I know you guys are probably at the end of your arc. You've been on for a while here. Um, but in, in what you're discussing, I'm watching your psychological and emotional reactions. I'm watching, uh, are you in the strategic mindset or in the tactical and operational mindset? Uh, and are you slipping in the mud there? If you are in the tactical space and um, arguing or you know, debating the, the benefits and, and the deficits of a primate model versus a, 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 a mouse model versus you know, uh, cells and, and a mortalized cell line and administering the vaccine to a human cell line to see uh, hopefully a direct cellular uh, relationship, the best possible reactions, which I know isn't a full system, but these these choices and these arguments that you're making seem in the tactical space and i would encourage you um as far as taking care of the arc of your lives keeping things as stable as they can be i know some of you have uh, experienced a lot more setback in that space than others but that you would uh you know unfortunately open your mind and your heart to the fact like johanna has mentioned that uh, there, there are unfortunate, very dark themes afoot, and there's no way that they could have activated them. There's no other way they could have called them into action without the, the horrific reality of what we're seeing here. And it's manifesting in emergency rooms and in practices. And, uh, and now we're ha having the sociologic and psychological operation of a war between people who do and don't have an open mind to this. And most of us are standing out at the mouth of the cave, rubbing our eyes, trying to adjust to the sunlight and figure out how in the world are we going to get that light to those people inside the cave. So I think I would encourage you to continue to talk to people who communicate and who educate so keeping a close you know, tie to Jonathan's work and to other academics, and it doesn't mean uh, you know, that an academic is the qualification for a good, uh, a good communicator, a good storyteller. You can look to any, any space. But no, we I think need that's to been proven in most cases ourselves. to be detrimental, Nick. That's, what <laughs> that's the take-home oh, message for the well, last couple of years. Yeah. Last week, I had a conversation with a long-term AIDS researcher, and she went right back to Peter Duesberg arguments and toxic gay lifestyle arguments and, you know, and then excused herself from the conversation when none of those things stood up. So there's, yeah, there's, we've talked about the psychological barriers, but I, again, would say keep, keep your eye trained on your day-to-day, -day, your quality of your loved ones, your relationships, your job, whatever it is, your station, um, and continue to shovel bits of this forward and, and keep in contact and learn how to repackage the story. Simpler and cleaner. Think about, you know, literally like uh, a, a TED Talk of condensing all of the moral and ethical and historical, let alone scientific detail, down to something that can be consumed by the people that don't have the benefit of where we've all gone academically. 
They just, they're not going to go there. They're not going to read the papers. They're not going to get deep into the details where you say, look, here's the DNA of my argument. Here's where I can argue at a molecular level about how this came from this. Here's the patent from 2005, et cetera. Whatever, whatever your, your approach it has to, you have to keep learning how to retell the story, make sure you've got it right. And the simpler, the better. I, I think this, that's named more, uh, you, Charles, Jonathan and Joanna. I can't do anything here. That's, that's what I've learned. I, okay. I might be able to get some lab data, but speaking to people and what have you, it's, Matt, it's, there's no interest here. Very little Rimo, I guess. Um, and that's about it. And you know what? We've lucked out in having someone who's got clinical space that we can use, right? So w without the overheads that were going to be charged, should I want to do my dream primate study? But the the real the real crux of this, I think, is it's the battleground is in America, maybe Europe somewhat, um, and. I don't know. You guys got to start working on your TED Talks. That's that's what I think. That's a good way of putting it, Nick. TED Talks. Well, I will so have a lecture. I will have a lecture soon with uh, physicians and primary care um, people here, and they are questioning the lab origin and all that. So we are coming there bit by bit, it's despite the information warfare. And um, I wanted to mention, now you see that hepatitis B and lentiviral connection. But I, I mentioned Judy Mikovic's story. And, you know, I see strange respiratory diseases that are prolonged since about three years earlier than the whole COVID stuff. Since 2017, they are strange uh, and not not really typical. And Cue ethical skeptic to step in here and... Uh... <laughs> When you look at it, yeah, you, you can only look at the Euro Momo when you have the 2017 flu uh, data. We had a huge um, excess mortality in 2017, and, and um, it was all over Europe. And that was, was what Judy Mikovits mentioned. Um, and we have introduced into Europe's market the, the uh, egg-free um, flu vaccines which are from Medin Derby kidney cells. These Medin Derby little doggies with the sand flies eating up their ears. That Fauci funded, you remember that, yeah? Mm -hmm. Right. These canine kidneys are used to produce cell cultures for our flu vaccines nowadays. It's not always eggs. And these are contaminated with gamma retroviruses. This is known and published by FDA NIAID. So think about it. When did all the excess mortality start? Just shortly before the, the, the vaccination. And when do we start with the vac vaccination against um, flu? 
around October. So that's that's the co-factor co that that we or Matt could probably factor in when did the flu vaccine season start? Because there's a publication by the military, 2017, 18 something, that you have a higher risk for coronavirus overall, human coronavirus infection when getting flu shots. Yeah. 36% higher risk. Yeah, you that's that's not a small number. You're not talking. You're not talking three or four percent here. <laughs> no, the lower the risk for flu, and then you raise the risk for coronaviruses. And to the question of Jonathan with the um, um, flu that went away, um, I, I was like involved back then in in testing and all that, and. I know that my lab um, didn't have the um, option anymore to test for flu. And some people who were negative for COVID didn't get tested for flu, and or which weren't meeting these inclusion criteria. So the whole waves and all that, there's a huge selection bias in there. So, because... I, so I've heard this from Europe, from someone who I trust implicitly um, working with European wide data that multiplex testing was ongoing during the emergence of SARS and they were just getting less hits. The multiplex tests were being done. It's not, it, it, it was done until April because they wanted to ramp up the, um, the the capabilities. And until April, I could get the normal multiplexes. And I was in contact with um, someone from a major hospital. And we had a drop to zero um, in the flu from April on, which means they haven't tested anymore, anyone on it because... That's, that was my communication. And all, on the other hand, we um, have ramped up the, the whole um, capacities for PCR, COVID PCR in that time. So it was only logical and we were running out of um, like, like materials. And, and, and which you there's a, there's another that. issue here that needs bringing up, which is the ultra medicalization of, of everything. And this you know it's a revenue source and th this this has to be kept in mind and i can't remember where, i think it was jonathan actually again um that you know they've got these big industrial pcr testing machines now that are, are gonna uh, uh, have been rolled out it's over the last higher, 12 months and with the higher um, false positive rate because they are um, automated the other mm. ones were like um, sequential um, PCRs with different um, P um, um, primers and these are like next generation um, whole genome sequencing multiplex um, um, designs with different primers so um, we have all the time we have different inclusion criteria in there and in the first place we have just taken the samples from nearly pneumonia cases who had travel history and, and all the other ones who came from the Alps had to go through their COVID until we opened up the, you know. And then there was this time in October where everyone got tested. 
like just when you had a traveling uh, travel travel um, history and and came back. So then you raise the um, false positives anyways when you have asymptomatics tested um, without any history of contact, um, and they change the protocols for the PCR at that time. So I absolutely agree that with Jonathan on this, that that there is a, a way you can see how they exaggerated these waves. And, and it was predictable. <laughs> and every time they changed the inclusion criteria, I thought, well, you can't describe it as a wave because you don't have all the time the same inclusion criteria you're mm. manipulating your your data sets all the time yeah it's a, it's so, a huge problem in clinical neurosciences again because the you know you have these overlapping symptoms all the time and it really it you know a lot depends on the care that the person so this this plays into the idea of um you know, prion-like disorders and, you know, why we've tried to find unifying vernacular, I guess. Hang on, let me just let Charles back in. Um, and so the, the population epidemiology is only ever a blurry snapshot of, yeah, inclusion criteria that are dependent on the last big meeting where they all sat around deciding what it what constitutes what yeah and, that's where we are with the with the market and and the whole origins because the inclusion criteria but by, by the chinese were only people from the market <laughs> that's your sample you get it doesn't really I, I don't know if jonathan wants to chime in there i know it's sort of, uh, no i think the false positive thing was uh i think the false positive thing was the absolute pinnacle of the of the debunk the funk episode because he spent like 15 minutes talking with matt where it was extremely clear that he didn't understand that false positives were a reality and well, let, let, me, let me let me steal man his position a little bit let's see if we yeah, can sure, get, go ahead. Get, get some because i what was the example he was using australia right australia yeah yeah so what he was his his position would be well where where are all the false positives leading up to the first wave where they were doing testing and they locked down because if the if the false positives were an issue you would you would see a constant rate in the reported test data that he argues isn't there and in in effect yeah i can i can see where he's coming from and so i guess the point he would be making is that the false positives in that instance were minimal i think the false positives were identified by just making the 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 cycle threshold a different cycle threshold and they just we don't know mm. so yeah. easy i mean i think in the early part of the pandemic at least in north america it would be right it would be very common to have a test run out to 42 or 45 cycles and if they were just not doing that and and being honest about cutting it off at 24 or 28 where there's still culturable virus then they probably didn't have very many false positives or, or at the Chinese criteria for COVID, which is clinical and, and needs to show uh, <laughs> lung exactly. and 
it's a clinical diagnosis. COVID is not a positive PCR. But but debunk was was arguing that they were running tests on people without without symptoms. So I don't know how true that is. But anyway, didn't they didn't they lower the cycle threshold on PCR tests pretty much immediately after the vaccination campaign started? Yes. Yeah. Of course they did. Yeah. Yeah. But that's shocking. Yeah. Um, but, but there's, in the first time, I worked in the, in the triage of PCR testing, and we only tested nearly pneumonia um, positive travel and, um, um, history to um, risk um, categories. And we only had like 8% test positivity, meaning 92% were not COVID positive with that criteria. So when we opened up and and had Iran and and, and some other places in there, and, and the moment we opened up to some degree to our local population and you realize it's not carried in we have it endemic already um we had 10 percent, about 10 percent test positivity for that inclusion criteria it went down around april may to um like the the last slope of the winter wave of of flu-like diseases um so that we had test positivity of about 2% in about May, June. And they were really late with showing us these data sets where we could relate how many positives we had in the overall population. But it went down and it stayed down until the flu vaccination and then the winter wave and then the next vaccinations. Johanna? Yeah. I, I studied a little bit of data on uh, respiratory syncytial virus, which was originally called chimpanzee coriza agent until they rebranded it and saw a similar bell curve on a long-term 10-year study done across major metropolitan areas in the U.S., from about 1961 to 71. And there was, um, we'll say, a strong and and probably predictable correlation of uh, influenza vaccine season followed by a wave of uh, pneumonia mortalities. Now, it became commonly known as pneumonia. Pneumonia can be caused by many things, but it's that's an interesting space. I'm wondering about RSV, these, these new RSV, this craze of let's vaccinate against RSV. It's like, well, RSV was introduced by contaminated substrate, you know, by using primate substrate. That's how we got it to begin with. So this is, you know, very strange. Um, it's profitable, I'm sure. But I wonder if we get an RSV vaccine as part of the schedule if we'll then begin to see a big spike and a plateau of ongoing pneumonia deaths if it's if it's doing the ade if it's if it's priming just like this dengavax the multivalent dengavax campaigns and now we're seeing large spikes in dengue isn't that historic that the rsv vaccine has caused um ade and was pulled absolutely Oh, it's already, it's the story is already come and gone. Okay. Yep. <laughs> it's been, I think, in the 70s that they had a big, 
big um, RSV vaccination campaign and then had ADE. Oh, no, but today, I'm seeing evidence today and discussions about, you know, new excitement about RSV vaccination. So Because it was in the 70s and they already forgotten what happened yeah. then, obviously. Well, and they well, it's very frightening. They're, they're encouraging pregnant women to get it to prevent That's the RSV right. in their newborn children. Mm. I shit you not. Mm. Yes, they are. Yep. It's like so, the most bizarre thing I've ever heard that you could possibly vaccinate against something that your kid would get right after birth, but they are doing that right now. That's correct. Yeah, they do COVID as well. It's totally against every good clinical practice that we practiced before COVID. Totally against. You mean, you you go into embryo talks and and you're even looking at the slightest nutrition issue for the mm-hmm. for the pregnant woman, and now you're injecting experimental known possible ADE inject- inducing... Oh, it's worse than that, Joanna, because uh, you, you, you're sending in something that we know crosses the blood-brain barrier. This is, these are in... <laughs> That's right. right. That's sent up probably as well. Yeah. Right well, there's, there's, there's a... Well, uh, I'll start ranting at the camera. I don't want to try and keep this... Hey, stabilize those pre-fusion spikes. Mm. So... If I want sort of practical measures to sort of come out of this, and I, I in in my view, I, I know what I need to do with respect to experimentation. Um, I asked Joanna, Charles, what's on your to do list for the next weeks to months? You're our tip of the spear, bro. You're you're the one in uh, in DC. Yeah, well, to me, it seems pretty clear. Um, we have the election in six weeks. <laughs> you hope. We hope. <clears throat> the bottom line is, is that I, I think all of us need to start raising awareness about <clears throat> just the simple fact that Fauci knew it was transmissible before China said it was transmissible, highly transmissible. And he, and he didn't just wait till after they, they announced it. They waited another two months while they, those same, the leading scientists from four countries published 33 papers in those two months. <clears throat> And they and called him racist to close the borders. Right, right. <laughs> and mentioned the FCS zero times, even though they knew it was there. Mm. They mentioned it zero times in, in a genomic analysis, like in anything. It's sick. And what that means is the West allowed this to spread. Well, China allowed it to spread. The West let it spread. And uh, Joanna is right. What was the one thing that... Fauci was fighting with Peter Navarro and other members of the Trump's administration for whether or not they were going to shut down travel between China, Mm. which Fauci three weeks before that, he already knew that he should have shut down the border. Well, it's, it's a case of if they shut down the borders and it still emerged, then 
it, in, it, it would have lent weight to the idea that it was already circulating in the US and they probably they were probably trying to obfuscate all, all that. Or you would ask Ian Lipkin, who was involved in the assassination of Judy Mikowitz, because in the Fauci mails, you can find that he asked to import SARS to New York mid-February. And we know from the Semmelweis University that SARS is more stable than any other coronavirus, probably surviving autoclave at 60 degrees. And, you know, the mailman school is up Broadway, very close to Queens, and the Elmhurst is not far away, you know, and six weeks later. So maybe if you want to FOIA someone, you could FOIA the Lipkin males and see what he discussed with his former protege, Cheng <laughs> Li Shi, right? There are pictures of them, right? He's, he's in Edinburgh, though, right? Not. Um... Well, <clears throat> was that... Ian Lipkin. Yeah. Ian Lipkin. W. Ian Lipkin is mailman in New York. Who's the one that was in Edinburgh? Who's the one that was where? Edinburgh oh, Andrew University. Rambo. Andrew Rambo. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I was going to well, say, no chance getting emails out of there, I can assure you. So. <laughs> Well, basically, I think that this point is is about as basic as you can make any argument regarding the science of, of SARS-CoV-2 and them being culpable. Mm. It, and it's literally in writing. So, first of all, the fact that they didn't talk about the FCS. Second of all, the fact that they chose to retain it. They've never provided a good... I mean, I know they have justifications, but they also have previous research stretching back a decade showing that they that they just did they knew they've always known this. So, to me, I think that forcing people need to understand Fauci hid crap. Fauci censorship equals pandemic spread. And now two year, half years later, long COVID. The, the legacy of Anthony Fauci is long COVID. Whatever long COVID is, it's his legacy. And if the world understands that, then... The suppression of the, of the early therapy, the Lancet, which is involved in there. All of this. All but of this. Censorship, yeah. <clears throat> so what's, to, what's to the me, next the steps argument. then? I mean, I know you, you've... I'm trying to get a congressman or senator to ask that in writing, preferably on video. Um, but it needs to get into the public discussion because the truth but, is... But have they, have they not done that with Rand Paul already? Is... Right, but not, not... But that's the thing. Rand Paul has... The topics that he's been focused on are... I mean, they're not necessarily going to move the needle that much. But this moves the needle because this means that Anthony Fauci directly played a role in how bad the pandemic got and what we're dealing with now. So that's not 
everybody's been focused on the origin and the origin obviously will tell the full story, but at the same time, he's guilty of crimes against humanity, no matter who made the virus. Yeah. I believe I, that. I, I, I believe I have the proof of that. And I believe that's what we need to be. Cause once we just get him into court, like Dr. Fleming has been trying to do, mm. once we start getting documents and stuff, it'll all come out. But I mean, how how close how close are we to that? I mean, I know we, we've all signed off on it, and I'd I'd like Jay to meet Richard and just you know more more public speaking and um... look if if I w- I could go on to Joe Rogan tomorrow, spend three hours, and we could accomplish what we need to do. Mm. The problem is is that <laughs> we don't know Joe Rogan. And there's but we know we know people that platforms. do we know people uh-huh. that do, and um, right. you know I, I, I think we, there's we, a little I think there's a little may, gatekeeping at uh, at Joe Rogan. I mean, one of the people that I'm I'm pretty sure there's a little gatekeeping happening at, happening at I, Joe. I, Rogan. I agree, but I would love to see a photograph of you next to his uh, stuffed uh, werewolf. That would be sweet. <laughs> I mean, um, sure. but the truth is, is that if if we went and just laid out some the, basic the, stuff, the, all of you that are in the U.S. In should the be public. there, in my mind, right? You, You're you, right, you, but they can't because the, the problem is, and uh, Chris Martinson had a very good example of he was emperor has no clothes, but what it, his point was, you have to get enough of a critical mass of people to know something, to the point where it can't be denied. Um. And that critical mass is what we're trying is what we have to get out there, because we don't have that with any of these things yet. People just don't. Ninety percent of people don't know anything about lab leak or anything about the virus, and but they do know people who've died from the vaccine. They do know people who have long COVID. They do know people who have died from COVID itself. They they want justice. I mean, if they if they knew. If, if they knew to ask the question of Anthony Fauci, did you make this worse? Did you did you hide information that could have helped us stop it earlier? Or my my son has long COVID and he's 27 and he'll never work again. And you hid that from people because you wanted to protect your legacy? Well, I think that would get enough people pissed off. But the problem is we have to get there. <clears throat> think think about how much they botched the early response to the virus. Um, they, the WHO pushed this notion of SARS-CoV-2 being droplet born rather than being airborne. Even, even though we had studies from, uh, including that one from, like, from a transit bus in Wuhan that showed that it was being transmitted at least 15 feet. The whole six foot guideline that they came up with was, they just made that up. There was no. Oh, they admit to that. Burks admits to that, right? It was they... it was three feet in 2017, in the pe- in the federal pandemic influenza response planning guide. It was three feet. <clears throat> and wow. um, the thing about it is that um, Prestige Ameritech offered to manufacture millions of N95 masks early on. That's right. And That's right. and they turned them down. 
and uh, they they allowed the the virus to establish a foothold. Um, it seemingly like almost intentionally. I mean, I knew. Um, so early on, they 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 published this guidance that like for surface disinfection that that did absolutely nothing because the primary route of transmission is airborne. It's from person to person. Um, and I knew people, uh, coworkers of mine who were made to, to load up these garden sprayers full of di- diesel dimethyl ammonium chloride, uh, disinfectant and go around spraying down surfaces to decontaminate them. It did nothing. It was like, it was literally, we're talking millions or potentially even billions of dollars of wasted labor here to, to, uh, across the nation for surface disinfection that accomplished absolutely nothing. Um, that's, that's one example. Uh, another example of, of how they completely botched the response was how they totally failed at contact tracing, just complete absolute failure. At it. I, it, I mean, if it, if it was airborne, I mean, you know, there was very little they could have done to begin with, but they, I think in those early crucial stages, they could have done a a much better job of preventing it from establishing, you know, endemic spread in the U S yeah. I, I, I think this at the beginning that they admit to lying about, um, masks and, you know, they might have been able to slide down closed borders, masks, Washing. I, d- I don't have a problem with sensible precautions like that. It's it's this. Well, the the charade that goes on right now. And... Another thing. Another thing that I had a problem with is the whole the blank slate ism of SARS CoV two. They didn't go back to old SARS papers for guidance. The, I, that was one of the first things that I did. In my research back in, in, I believe this was in uh, February and March of 2020, one of the first things I did was go over all the old SARS papers. And um, I, I took note of SARS sequelae, how, how people suffered from uh, MECFS after SARS, how they suffered from uh, pulmonary fibrosis, um, things that are now attributed to long COVID or, or PASC, um, post-acute sequelae of COVID-19. Um, these, these were already known about. They were, the media were acting like, oh, this is something that's entirely novel. We've never seen anything like this before. No, that's incorrect. People had chronic fatigue from SARS, from the first SARS outbreak. Uh, survivors continue to have chronic fatigue <laughs> syndrome um, several years later after they'd recovered from SARS. So they'd already- And that didn't even have HIV in Yeah, exactly. And that, didn't, that didn't even have HIV inserts or for, or for in cleavage sites. So, but, but people or, already- Or those knew. amyloidogenic off proteins. Exactly. Um, this, uh, again, there's a- there's... Hydroxychloroquine. I mean, that they already knew. They already yeah. knew. The good thing about the, the Bill Gallagher 80-page thing that he made was that he literally listed- everything that you were supposed to do based upon what had happened with SARS in 2003. And Anthony Fauci literally did everything the opposite. In, um, in March of, of 2020, yeah. I, I saw a SARS paper that indicated that, that a, the SARS sufferer um, had this, I believe this was back in 2003, 2004. Um, 
they had vertebral arterial vasculitis um, because of SARS. And the moment I saw that, I was like, okay, wait a minute. Is this causing pneumonia or is this causing vasculitis of the lungs? Um, and then a month later, um, at University Hospital Zurich, they came out with their, their paper that stated unequivocally that SARS-CoV-2 was causing um, a vascular endotheliitis. That it was yeah. it was attacking endothelial cells through their ACE2 receptors, and for months afterward, the media continued mm-hmm. to push this notion of COVID-19 being a pneumonia rather than being a vascular endotheliitis. Yeah, a novel. A novel pneumonia, exactly. Pneumonia. And even though, <clears throat> and they, they they knew all along, pretty much from the be- from the outset, that it was a vascular disease that it was, and that it was causing essentially uh, neutrophilia and viral sepsis and endothelial damage by uh, via lipid peroxidation. And the thing about this is that. I mean, you can you can plainly see it through the through the biomarkers and the labs on these people. They have you know, they have low endothelial nitric oxide bioavailability. They have elevated uh, nitrotyrosine. That's a biomarker of oxidative stress. I, I started digging into, into Martin Paul's work on something that he, he called no-ono disease, which is a biological feedback loop where superoxide uh, forms peroxynitrite when it reacts with nitric oxide. Um, and then this peroxynitrite actually reacts with um, the tetrahydrobiopterin uh, cofactor in nitric oxide synthase. And what this, what this does is this uncouples nitric oxide synthase. When nitric oxide synthase is uncoupled, it no longer synthesizes nitric oxide. It synthesizes superoxide instead. It produces more radicals. This is a feedback loop. It just goes in a circle until all the nitric oxide is gone and you're left with nothing but peroxynitrite and superoxide. And then anything that, that stimulates uh, nitric oxide synthase activity now produces more superoxide as well. So if there's a bradykinin storm going on, mm-hmm. if, if there is, um, and, and bradykinin actually increases nitric oxide synthase activity as well, inducible nitric oxide synthase. So, um, and all those are uncoupled. Now they're pumping out more superoxide. So it, it, the thing is that you start going over all these papers about how people who have COVID nineteen have uh, neutrophil extracellular traps forming in their in their blood vessels, uh, in the in the microvasculature of their lungs. Um, those neutrophil extracellular traps contain destructive oxidative enzymes, uh, extracellular superoxide dismutase, myeloperoxidase, and so on. So what happens here? is you're having um, this like kindling radical effect is what they call it, where you start off with superoxide and then superoxide um, is then converted by superoxide dismutase into hydrogen peroxide. And then hydrogen peroxide and chloride ions um, in myeloperoxidase produce hypochlorous acid. This is actually a fairly normal process for neutrophils. I mean, that's how they fight bacteria is how they fight infections is by trying to, engulf bacteria and, and <laughs> use essentially peroxide and bleach to to break down their membranes um Spikers, I, don't, I don't mean to interrupt but this just came up in the chat because relating just to the early treatments and hydroxychloroquine etc um and 
let's it's known now that a whole bunch of congressmen and politicians in the US did get access to those treatments. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's um and they were lying to people. Yeah. Um, just just bald-faced lies in into the in front of the media and everything, you know, saying that it's that it's snake oil and it doesn't work and just just get your vaccine and so on while they were having ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine and various other Okay. Um, so let, me ask, let me ask this question then. <clears throat> Based off of what you're saying, if <clears throat> if SARS-CoV-2 is causing, if if its biggest factor is not ARDS but is you know endothelial damage, then isn't that automatically going to be exacerbated as soon as you inject? I I, I would say well, so. It's, it's going to be exacerbated by ventilators, and I'll tell you how. Um, myeloperoxidase okay. produces hypochlorous acid. Hypochlorous acid um, strips iron out of out of heme. Then you end up with free iron, and um, and then the Fenton reaction. So the Fenton reaction is this, this reaction where um, iron and hydrogen peroxide react to form something called a hydroxyl radical. Hydroxyl radicals are some of the most potent radicals known to man. They are, they, there is no enzyme that detoxifies them. They instantly oxidize lipids. Um, if you look at, oh, at, at, at Bing, Bing Liu, um, that one scientist in Pittsburgh who was working on, um, on COVID-19 and then mysteriously died in a murder-suicide, look at his, um, at his background. The guy was an expert in in ferroptosis, in lipid lipid peroxidation, and um, and the thing about this is uh, what we're looking at here is really really severe lipid peroxidation to the point where you have these uh, lipid hydroperoxides just building up continuously in the microvasculature, causing damage to endothelial cells. Um, and this is this is a lot like lupus. This is a lot like how you get autoantibodies in lupus from, and it's from the oxidative modification of fats. It's be, uh, you have antiphospholipid antibodies, anticardiolipid antibodies, and so on. And it's it's what's called oxidation specific epitopes or OSEs. Um, so it's cause mm-hmm. uh, this is an almost. I mean, COVID nineteen is undoubtedly. Trigger. I mean, in the really severe cases, is undoubtedly triggering ferroptosis and parthenitose in the vasculature, and that's how you're getting this endothelial uh, uh, sloughing, um, exposure of the basement membrane, release of von Willebrand factor, fo- uh, oxidative phosphorylation that triggers of uh, nuclear factor kappa B, release of inflammatory cytokines, and so on and so forth. Um, and this is essentially extreme oxidative injury to the vasculature. Um, when you, you put someone on a ventilator, what that does is that that pours more O2 on top of yep. a um, severe Ross storm. Uh, someone who has transient ischemia in their lungs um, and someone who has a, a ventilation perfusion mismatch in, their, in the, the microvasculature in their lungs um, and the, the alveoli, when you introduce oxygen, it mimics the physiology of ischemia reperfusion injury. Those those cells that are have, are now in an anaerobic kind of metabolism, now they they revert back to be to having aerobic metabolism. 
when that happens, hypo, built up hypoxanthine um, is is broken down by xanthine oxidase and produces superoxide. Now it's producing even more radicals. It's causing even more radical damage to the tissues. You're pumping oxygen into a free radical storm and causing even and basically making people's lungs melt. <laughs> and they give people corticosteroids to treat this, but uh, to, to treat the inflammation, right? But it doesn't matter. But it doesn't matter because reactive oxygen species actually react with glucocorticoid receptors directly and inhibit them. So now you have mm-hmm. steroid rebound. So this whole protocol mm-hmm. of ventilator and steroids, I mean, it, it doesn't work for this. I mean, to to be fair, I would posit that we, we've moved away from the mass venting that we saw at, at the beginning, right? I, I think some some lessons were learned. Uh, I guess you can, I guess you can only murder so many people with <laughs> candlesticks in I mean, the library that, so many that times. Can explain, good, that can explain good the drop in CFR. A good friend of mine yeah, died but, but in one of those it's, ventilators. It's exactly like Spartacus said. This, this, this free radicals is the big problem. And we had that uh, discussed in April or something of 2020. So after that, there was this phase where NAC, which is buffering these free radicals, um, was taken out of the stores in the yeah. Yeah, and, and our clinical yeah, well, don't even mention it. I'm giving IV if I have someone who got COVID and has high um, D dimers, like show show signs of of like vascular injury. I'm I'm giving NAC intravenous, and that's what what intensive care physicians did in the first place um, to, to get this storm down. It's not part of the protocols. They are starting with Paxlovid and EL6 inhibitors, with, with which they are focusing on, on since they have these CAR T cells treatments. These CRISPR technologies yep. is the next thing that's going to come. And right. they are they are publishing, you know, I know that because they are publishing that like one or two years prior to the trend in our literature to pre- to prep us for it and to say it's totally normal that you have that end of end stage tumor therapy and have a risk of one hundred percent that your patient is ICU. <laughs> afterwards because you have to give that IL-6 blocker uh, except it would go, the one go into cytokine storm it's, it's, it's unthinkable and the reasoning is always the same we can do that with tumors because it's end of stage things and, and reason um, right to, to choose at your end stage but what have they done I, I just had a book where they pro- promoted the BioNTech mRNA as tumor therapy. And it was 2018, two years before it was pu- 
introduced and then um, and licensed as an immunotherapy for, for immunization. That's a total different approach. So how I, I still can't get how we changed the whole standards. Well, it, 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 it implies that there was a degree of centralized planning to this. And that's really, we, yes. we, we have to look for all, all the trouble they've caused, right? Some of those conspiracy cranks, um, you know, they were on the money with some stuff. We, we, we'll cede that ground to them. Um, but now, but now we have to turn it into something concrete and, um, you know, we have to arm someone like Charles, Jonathan, Spartacus, Nick, to be able to petition their governments or government right now and the institutes that represent them. Because I think there's nothing we can do about China, is there? Go to war, but I don't think it's not going to, it's not going to solve a whole bunch. And I think probably make things worse. But if you... Actually, I, I, I just got a book translated from Chinese. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, this is an important um, point. So, On the emergence of SARS-1. And I had, since back then, the suspicion that it was kind of tweaked with. Because, um, it, it, like, like Jonathan and I discussed, it was so easily, like, it was so fast culturable in vivo E6 cells and no coronavirus prior was capable of doing that, um, of, of being cultured. And um, there are actually um, publications that SARS-1 has uh, homology to GP41, which in combination with GP120 gives the GP160, the glycoprotein 160, the two subunits and has a furin cleavage site inside of it. It's like HIV SARS is like the same function in the subunits and only the receptor binding domain is specifically for ACE2 so and not... The, the, the rebuttal to that always is that Oh, evolution will just converge on a useful mechanism. And so SARS and HIV have just found similar, similar tricks. Um, and personally, I find that a, a hard one to rebut against. Like, you know, I guess there's the, you could just say it's too close. And the... Well, the, in SARS-CoV-2... There, it's easy to easier to rebut because, like, the fact that there's different clades of HIV, um, which, by the way, multi-clade is a type of construction that they're now using in HIV vaccines, and specifically, uh, like, the ratio is even the same of how many elements from envelope protein or gag or pole or whatever. Um, so. And that was the main, that was one of the two main arguments against the Indian preprint was that these were, these were geographically disparate clade pieces. They, they could have only come from nature, which is absolutely false. They, it's exactly what you would do if you were trying, if you had familiarity with the HIV vaccine work. Now, the other side of it being that on top of that, if you were making a vaccine, you would 
take out a whole bunch of stuff, all of which they left in. So it's... But and stuff that's added. It's easier. It's it's the stuff that's added to me that's the real... (laughs) I I, I get the argument that you could say, oh, you know, they're they're still tweaking it. Hey, you don't have the coof, do you, dude? <laughs> no, <laughs> I hope not. Stay strong, I was bro. Goldfish. Uh, you know what? You, you, you want to hear it. something messed up? I bought ten goldfish yesterday, and uh, all dead this morning. God, I was gutted. I was all gutted. I mean, it wasn't expensive. Anyway, They're anyway. about 40, 40 yen of fish, but well, it's uh There's still seven ninety nine here, so <clears throat> okay, it's still pretty good. But anyway. The, the the point is is that it's not that there's one or two or three things that are suspicious. It's that the entire spike protein, especially the first half, looks like an amalgamation of all the best ideas of what you would not want to do from 30 years of research from several different viruses and put all into the same virus. And look, I, I, I'm, I, I don't have a problem with this. The problem is the people like uh, well, that very vocal, <clears throat> censorious group across Twitter and social media that, like uh, Wilson, as a prime example, who will just believe, well, it's from nature then. That they'll believe it's from nature because it's a convergent mechanism that's geographically <clears throat> distant. And That's pretty convergent for, for, the, for the exact tiny inserts to be in the exact part of the loop where they're <laughs> the most yeah. exposed like that's pretty impressive like these viruses are smarter <clears throat> i'm sorry i i don't know maybe it's just me but uh the fact that they literally wrote that they were going to do this <clears throat> and here's a virus that literally has all this yeah i mean that's that's the best comeback we have which is that look well actually the doglish and uh Sorensen paper is a really good one because they count up the charge. <clears throat> they, they look at several different things and say, this is insane. Like, this is exactly what you'd do if you were doing this. But you would never, like, this is, does not exist in nature. And they break it down uh, with hydrophobicity and with charge and some other stuff. And <laughs> I think that's the best argument, personally, which is probably why it's been suppressed. Yeah, yeah. Um. <clears throat> I, I, again, I just I just want to have concrete stuff. Jonathan, what's what's your immediate week to months? If you if you've, you don't have to tell us everything, of course. Just some stuff for the public. Uh, I'm still at this stage where I'm trying to catch up with you know my old shtick, which is just trying to make sure I understand the immunology and I'm not overextending and. Uh, I feel at this stage there's we have to consider the possibility that where my imagination has gone is that it might be easier to think about this as a protein released into a into a ecosystem genetic swarm whatever you want to call it rather than a virus and so the the symptomology tracked with the spike protein and so much of what I think the illusion is is the idea that they have specific that they have specific PCR primers that can detect the different RNA dependent RNA polymerases or the different end proteins of either these variants or 
um, between these homologous proteins and other related coronaviruses. And so I think that's a huge illusion. I think the thing with the, with the, with the hospitals and the changing of protocols is also a huge part of this. And so I'm trying now to, it, it brings into focus in my mind, even more why the evidence that, that Charles has amassed becomes even more suspicious because it really even, even more points to this, as you guys have said, this coordinated deliberate creation of confusion and, and, whether or not there was a, a dangerous pathogen that was capable of a pandemic, they were, they made it one. They did it as, as they did everything that they could to make sure that you would believe it was happening. They made sure that it, if it could happen, it would happen. So you could maybe, we could maybe find out 10 years from now that they were disappointed in how far it went, but it didn't matter because Facebook helped them make up for it. And on the other hand, we could find out that it went much farther and the way that it went is still hidden to us. And so all of these things are possible because of the way that they uh, disingenuously orchestrated the first year and a half or two years. Well, and that's what, where I think we are. What do, what do you think <clears throat> the possibility that, um, that a lot of what we're seeing in Ukraine right now is linked to these groups involved in this planning that maybe maybe it did spin out of control and uh, they didn't they didn't get the pathway that they've wanted everyone's turned around and looked started looking at all these groups and and now we find now we find ourselves looking at a massive escalation in Uh europe again and we're well i i try really hard to not to not speculate about this stuff because i often make a fool but what i what I have was working really well for me lately is assuming that whatever they tell us on TV is not it. And so my guess is, <laughs> is that behind Metobiota and all this other, I guess I have what Charles has behind Metobiota and all this other stuff is a much Leave larger. Leave those goldfish alone, bro. Yeah, I will. <laughs> those, those, those EU funds and American funds that have been laundered through Ukraine are the real story and maybe Metabiota mm. was something also but I bet you there's a lot worse stories in that yeah. closet yeah. than than we know about right now and so uh, I've been tracking that's what I Hunter think. Biden Hunter Biden laundered 7 billion dollars <laughs> to to oligarchs in Russia or oligarchs to fight the Russians 7 billion dollars which is why he was serving as the middleman and Glenn Beck actually is the one. His reporting on that has been ex- has been excellent because it's absolutely true that they one of the things they were trying to do was was cover up the fact that Obama was fighting a proxy war against Russia in 2014. Yeah. So so now, now we find ourselves on the on what that has to do with. The pandemic. Ah, I don't know. Look at that. Hello, sweet. Brain is like a come here nugget. Come here. Ah. <laughs> yeah, look at these people. Hello. Say hi. Oh, you know what? So anyway. You know what? My daughter asked me. She she said, "Please on your stream, can you show the pictures that she drew as she was trying to stay away from bed?" So there, nice. there you go, sweetheart. There, I, I I I did it for you. Daddy showed you your cat pictures. So I like it. Um. Uh, well, I mean, that's this is why we fight. Yeah. Um, 
the, the fact that, I mean, th that's why I'm doing it is because I can't, I, I can't look at myself in the mirror and say, you know what? <clears throat> I don't know what happened here. And I'm just going to say, fuck it. When I have my kids who are going to have to grow up in whatever world this is. Uh -huh. And, and what we currently have is not the world that I want them to grow up in. What it's not we what we were given. It's a nightmare. It's not what we were given. And to to no. just roll over right now is well, I, d I don't think my parents, my father, wouldn't have done. Um, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I think Jonathan's probably right about there's a whole bunch more around that region and the programs and money. I, I asked Mark to jump in, but he, he have he you guys seen my um? see my graph yes i had it i had it um up just... i went ahead and put in put in the link there in the well but that's the why chat. that's why the, the reason why I'm... hello yeah I can, oh, no. I can i can hear you okay the reason why i'm, I'm doing what, what i'm doing and why i think this is the best path is because they're they're using the science they're using public health as their as their avenue to do all these other things. So the first thing we need to do is we need to break down this illusion. And if, and that's why I think the, the evidence that, we, that we're finding is so powerful because we don't have to have all the answers to break the illusion. We just need to show that the matrix exists and in, like give them the red pill and people will figure it out. And that's the problem is that nobody knows any of this. And the only way we're going to break through the censorship is to do it on a big enough scale that, that, that it can reach people. I yeah, mean, so, that's, so, I'm going to introduce these things so that way all of us can like have it in our mind as we're going through, okay, because ho hopefully this will help us moving forward. Concretize. So, so, so maybe maybe part of the strategic planning here this this was something i was discussing with you i know earlier um sort of maybe more focus on media trying to get more uh th this discussion boiled down and then start going and doing the bigger um youtube circuits etc and, and 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 stop these people from speculating and say look we have the evidence this this is it now now comes the need for action and you know we can say that we've done a lot of the work the indictments are in the we just need to raise awareness that they that they gain a critical mass and you know again and this is the group of people too this is the group of people that has done a lot of the research who have found a lot of the things who have fought um, without conflicts of interest and so that's one of the reasons why the, all of these people that were here today, it's so important, whether it's Spartacus or Nick or, or JC or me or anybody else, we're just doing this to do it. And I, I, we're, the best, we're, we're the best able to speak to all of these things. Look, I mean, I was on, um, what's it called? I forget the radio station now. That's a big one, international one. But 
um it's it's surprising how yeah people say i heard you on that etc and you know what i think is happening right now it's, it's sort of fatigue and distraction at the moment every everyone's fixated on he wouldn't be fixed i'm fixated on ukraine and uh <laughs> what's happening there the <clears throat> but the problem with the, or, or for me they're all linked and maybe maybe we should be trying to leverage that a little bit more i don't know i don't know what you guys think it's hard because they're the one thing that they're censoring harder than covid is <laughs> all of their stuff so and but the good news is is what i can say is that there are elected officials who understand this there are elected officials in the united states who realize the bigger picture and i think i mean it, it really just comes down to like we have to on our end we have to make sure we have an election because I can guarantee they're they're doing everything they possibly can to mess it up, everything they possibly can. Yeah, yeah, I I, I wouldn't doubt it, yeah. and um, <laughs> I don't know if it's three hundred thousand or a million Russians that have been called up, but that's not insignificant, and that that's enough to stop an election coming. They, right, they will do whatever because the op the the other op option. It's their complete destruction. Charge, it's existential for them. It's a, 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 this is existential. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. Um, so we just have to show them that we care more about the the world that we have than the world that they want. Mm. And we have to refuse. We outnumber them a lot. Oh, yeah. And, we, you know, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to keep it from getting super crazy. But... To me, this is the best path. <clears throat> Tear down the the. Well, the look, so, so, something that I can do straight away, right? Is Clyde Lewis? That's national radio. Um, we can start with that. I could do that this week. We can, I don't know, four, five of us, six of us. Nick's been on there. It was all right, wasn't it? Nick wasn't that wasn't that bad. No, not at all. We had a good time. And uh, again, it's it's a little different format. You don't get uh, when it's radio, you don't get the visuals. You can't convey data. But still, that's that's we're, we're, we're not making a whole lot of progress by presenting finer and finer granular scientific detail. We have to continue to put it into words, put it into short pieces and help people go and sniff out the, you know, their own validation if they, you know, if they see fit. But, uh, well, you know. Kevin has the accent. Johanna has the accent. Mm -hmm. I have the scratchy voice. You have the warm, fuzzy voice. I mean, we're all good. We can go on the radio together, and everybody will hear four different people. It'll be perfect. Yeah, um, we can, or oh, five, you six. We, we should do this. Spark has got radio we should, voice. We should, wait, instead of I instead of the proximals, we got to come up with a name to be like the anti-proximals or something because that's really what's happening is the authors of Proximal Origin, they were fabricating something. They're a group of people from all over the world. And actually, we, we already have three out of the four countries. Let's see, we have UK, US, Germany. What's the only other one? Uh, Netherlands. Australia. No, Netherlands. You need Australia we as could, well. We could put Australia, but but just and we could just be like the anti-dickbags. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was going to say the people's front of Judea, but I, you know. <laughs> right. I mean, there are times to be, to speak to the people, you know, so I try to do that occasionally. Well, look, I, I, I will do that this week. So gentlemen, please be ready for, uh, because they, <clears throat> it, it tends to sort of happen on short notice. And, okay. well, uh, and all of us need to have like, like, like key points and anecdotes and stuff and just be able to explain our own little piece effectively well, and efficiently. I, I, th- I think the, the primary point right now is the, uh, you can go in Charles and then each one of us, if there's a, if there's a question, you can just <clears throat> say, yeah, the amyloid thing is a real thing. I'm a doctor. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do have the experts in, in a bunch of the areas, uh, yeah. and that's really all I've all I've tried to. I've been lucky that I've had a lot of people to pull from that were really smart, that had good ideas, and it just happened to fit with things that I was doing. But well, look, that's so the cool I, thing I've about got all of us. I've got um, Clyde Lewis. Uh, I think it's TNT, the radio station. Is it TNT? Oh, I, can't, I, can't I, I don't remember, but we, we definitely so. need. We need to have our presence more known because people don't know anything about drastic. They don't know, like, the only people out there are Dr. Quay, who, who's actually been on, like, the Dan Bongino show, which is basically like the successor to Rush Limbaugh. I mean, he's been able to get out there, but nobody else mm. has been able to do it. Mm. <clears throat> All right. Well, um... The German expert group was like, when I was introduced there, they didn't know what I did. And they were discussing some stuff, researchers, scientific basis, many of them, not necessarily MDs, but um, different areas. And then I formulated my... my, um, that I that I'm, cons- I'm I'm certain that it, it's man-made and shared my my letter to the military from May 2020 and then they said you know the drastic uh, the, the diffuse proposal and I was like yes <laughs> I know Charles and uh, y- you know it's known in Germany at least in with the experts and I think. Maybe it's not a national thing. As you said, we are different countries. It's an international issue. It's not only about the US. Yeah, of course, we can do anything about it. But the whole Russia and Ukraine stuff, it's not US um, only either. It, it's, you know, we are starting to freeze here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are really up our energy. So. Yes. And and you know it's um, it's kind of an ideological step. Um, uh, many people here are absolutely pro-Ukraine and, and um, anti-Russian, and so we are in a situation where we are delivering tanks in a war zone as Germany and you know, has war propaganda again mm. and are producing these vaccines in our Beringberg. So I think maybe it's it's definitely necessary to set up an international foundation. And, and you know, 
set up the uh, infrastructure to get these supports like the grifters do, <laughs> you know, have clean books, give read, give them um, um, papers what happens with, with the money. But, you know, but... I agree. Uh, look, look, if, 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 those, if people like Fulmich can have 600,000 euros, just that. right, just what, swimming about to do rumble talks, um, excuse me. <laughs> This, like I say, we could do. Uh, like I say, six hundred thousand could have all of us again. I'll say it again in case people haven't heard it. I'll repeat it. Could have all of us on this talk in the lab by the end of the week, next week, sitting down and saying, "Okay, we're going to do this, this, this," and you know, there's all. There's and also... even help people with that, you know. I would sit in the practice and care for the people and take that lab sample that I wish to have and not trying to convince my patient to pay for it. It's not the insurance that are paying. It's the people that are injured mm. that have to pay for, for all that. Or I, I would do it. You know, I've given so much now. I'm not giving anything else because there's nothing left, nothing left. you know? But the thing is, I'm, I'm in a position to be able to leverage those types of analyses that I would say probably not even cost right now. And it's, well, you know, there's a, there's a, it's just funny that, you know, 600,000 euros is the, uh, you can see them, I don't know. I don't know whose story is true or not, but to me, it's just the fact that there was six hundred thousand euros there. Um, that that to me is crazy. And you know, you think you've got Jonathan, who's literally literally gone the the ultimate sacrifice in the academic environment, right, to stand by your principles, <laughs> just say, "Hey, hang on a minute, this this ain't right, Governor." Do me a favour. You've got Charles, a WMD expert. Joanna, viral expert and practising MD. And we've got the public researchers, which shows that we're open to people who who can demonstrate the requisite skill sets. And yet we're the ones who are constantly... And it doesn't matter what or, or, or how you do, you get... We get taken down. And, you know, for when it's at most, I like getting taken down for medical misinformation now because at least, at least they're not saying it's uh, sexually titillating. I'm sexually titillating people for a, for a ban, and you know, um, yeah, these are these are all things that you have to overcome, I guess. And like I said, right right now, I can pull the trigger on two big radio shows that we could do in a week. <clears throat> If there was... I have offers. I have offers for for interviews and and documentaries and all that. But it it needs to be like that documentary that just came out. Um, I don't know what it was called, but like, but we reviewed it and it was actually pretty good. Um, historical retelling of what happened in the last two and a half years, but the last half an hour finishes off with saying it's graphene oxide, mm. and and. All that really, really good work with respect to the centralization just gets thrown away. And again, I have to just sort of ask, you know, why why do that when 
they know that there's at least he didn't go down the viruses aren't real but um <laughs> there was uh you know the wi-fi tracking and uh all, all that and look I'm, the wi-fi thing i'm open to testing that's something that can be tested right um but i'm, I'm open to test now i'm not going to disregard that completely but the I don't know the fact after well, <clears throat> the meeting in Germany this week, where where I'm talking to someone who knows carbon nanomaterials and has done even more testing than me, and definitively is like, no, that's that's it's not graphene. So uh, you know, at least we can put that one to bed. Well, here's yeah, what I read. exactly. Mm-hmm. I think we should. I think well, it's only seven p.m. here. Uh, I. I'm terrible at math, but I'm going to assume that that is 3 a.m. or something in Germany. One. I am terrible at math. 1 a.m., yes. Um, but I, I, I I've been up all night, dude. I'm ready for more. Uber what we have to do, what we have to do is not – We just whatever I, – I, I think it, it's time for us to start working together because I think that works better for a lot of people. Not yeah. that we need to have another drastic or anything, but we need we need to we need to we have so much expertise, but it's never all in the same place. So we need to okay. sort of okay, I have the, as much as possible. I have the offer to have a team of journalists interviewing me on on a like uh, PR um um Action of we had that in Germany. It was called Alles auf den Tisch by um, um, like everything on the table by artists and and um, um, uh, actors and all that who were like taking the um, pandemic and coronavirus narrative like on a comedian way or something. But now they introduced the idea um everything under the microscope <laughs> and want to have like scientists explain their point of view that maybe fewer than they had with the artists but more in depth and i think when we would all like put together the the most crucial part you, you know i will always talk about bicolin because it, i think it's fascinating that, that it works against all these different mechanisms and i would put like a hope point in there but maybe that's why i'm not too precise on what you said charles with this timing that definitely shows that Fauci and maybe all these people that attended these Fauci meetings on first and third were pressured or were actively engaged in helping him committing his crimes against humanity. So um, there are so many indicators. And if we would just, like Nick said and Mark said yesterday, uh, last time, I know I'm not, I'm not, on point, like in in a five or ten minutes um, thing that I could point that out, but maybe we could together boil it down to the most important parts that we would transport, and then that one could be uh, made as a, as a documentary. And yeah, that's a, that's a good. Yeah, 
it's a good approach and maybe they maybe they are interested in in um getting you involved as well to show that it's not a single person but a group investigating that giving their all so i have the contacts i mean that makes a good story documentary format is very important because it lets you transcend um talking heads looking at you know looking into camera looking professional trying to look the part you can have components you have clips of that but you can intermix it with history with faces of the people that are involved with institutions um with data so i'd be in i can make recordings kevin can make recordings we can also you know i think it's a great idea i think it's a great idea okay sparkus <laughs> are you coming in the spark well, yes. you, you don't have to come in the sparkus you do yeah you've published so right uh, <laughs> uh maybe maybe time to uh unleash on well we're all spark I mean, they, they can't think <laughs> right. any worse of you than they do of me i mean i'm, I'm just i was an enlisted marine so and, and i can put it i'll right. tell you this uh he's more than capable of handling himself i've seen um <laughs> 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 all right so i think that's probably a good place to wrap up um because uh, i have been up all night um <laughs> thank you everyone for because uh, i know i know this was a bit chaotic sort of uh lining lining times and everything up but um i think i think it was good there was a lot of points covered i know if anyone else wants to add anything at the end no we need we need we're like a manhattan project we just need to Get a critical mass together i think we can break through but okay. I, I don't think we can do it individually so mm. well clyde lewis first stop this week well, i can definitely do it so that sounds fun mm. not on um, tuesday please I, I don't know what tuesday is for me wednesday okay. <laughs> oh it's your birthday okay well that's uh oh actually wait what, what day is your birthday because my birthday is next week too Yes, Tuesday. Oh, well, I mean, I'm the 28th. I'm so on Wednesday. Yes. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, well, so we've got Monday's choices and Thursday and Friday. Friday, I mean, I Friday, Friday is the the peak time actually. So, if I ask them Friday, and I, I, what I'll do is I'll actually ask them to sort of, it's a special, and limit the commercial breaks. This is of national importance for the US, and maybe maybe they can front load and back load the advertisements. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm promising too much, but I'll ask. When 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 is it in the day? Sorry. So it's nine. I want to say it's eight or nine p.m. Pacific time. Pacific. Oh Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So it's like twelve hours later for, okay. Let's uh, hold on. Nine hours later. Yana's is plus nine from Pacific. Okay, so it's next day morning. Next day morning, yeah. Four or five in the morning, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's usually usually it's about ten or eleven for me. I want to say maybe a bit. Yeah, then it's an early morning. Yes. Mm. I hope, I hope that's usually you have you have it, <laughs> Kevin. But that's no problem. If it's early morning on Saturday, it's no problem because I have appointments. <laughs> okay, well, I, I'll try and find out 
today and um yeah we'll we'll go from there especially but well, i'll just couch it in the election um you know i'm flexible for something like that i, I would and i'll i'll presume I'll, I'll just make the presumption that everyone that was here today wants to chime in and i would yeah i mean i'm i don't know like how they would handle the I mean, the fact there's so many but i, I think I, I, don't know, I, I don't i don't do a lot of like structured I think it's more the point of I'd I'd let you do the talking and just say we're all there just to ask, well, we can have one or two as a sort of main touch point and then we can give them a list of each one of the, I don't know, the experiences, like Jay's experience in academia. People need to know that, right, how broken it is. Um, We can say, you know, Spartacus, you know, a lot of people in the US especially... Clyde Lewis's audience would know who he is. Um, Nick's been on there before, and Joanna um, will introduce you to the AM talk radio circuit in, in the US. That'll be a that'll be a trip for you. The cutting edge of mass communication. <laughs> yeah. Look, there's there's millions of people that listen to that still. There are. But in a in a country of well, you, you know, it might just be a way of signalling to other. And I can I'll follow I'll follow up with the TNT as well, and um, again try to try to put it in the context of you know this this needs to be a special prior to the elections right now. Um, Absolutely, that people need to hear this. I mean, if Glenn Beck was smart, he'd realize. One of the reasons I was pissed off that he didn't include me or us is like as drastic was that it's kind of a perfect made for TV movie kind of thing where you, you have people, just random people coming together mm. trying to save the world or whatatever, and we're doing things. And it's we're just, cool a lot. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't know. I, it's just, it's a, it's opportunities wasted. And I think now we're getting to the point where we can't waste any more opportunities. We've got yeah, to do whatever yeah. we can do. That, that, no? I, I, I can hear the word. I'm going to have to go. Guys, thank you very much for everyone, for the yeah. audience listening. Thank you. Um, I, I saw people dropping links. I don't know if anyone wants to plug a website or anything before I hit the stop button. Um, no way, man. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, thank you, no, I think we're good. Good to see everyone. Okay. All right. Take care, guys. I'll see you all in the next one. Bye bye. See you. Thank you.